Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze, where we take a nostalgic look at a random football magazine from the past. I'm Andy Smith, aka Scott's Footy Cards on Twitter, and with me is Tom Brogan. Hello! And joining us this week is Simon Weir. Hello! <laughs> Each episode we'll invite a special guest to join us in trolling through the magazine and discuss anything contained within it. This could be anything from an article, to a photograph, to a competition, to an advert. Basically, if it's in it, then we'll talk about it. So sit back... And let's shoot the breeze. Wriggles clear. Might just get the chip and he does. He scores. Oh, what a great backlash. Our guest this week is a Partick Thistle fan who regularly appears on the Jags Cast podcast as well as the Radio Free Partick show. He was also a goal scorer in Thistle's 4-1 Scottish League Cup final win over Celtic, <laughs> albeit in a recent recreation of the day performed by a set of fans at Firhill. Welcome, Alan Fraser. How you Welcome. Nice Hi. to see you. Hi, Alan. Thanks for joining us today. Um, it's, uh-huh. it's great to have you on. Uh, we've picked out a shoot magazine from the 22nd of December 1979 for you. And it's just a random magazine. I mean, I'm, I don't even know if there's any Partick Thistle content in this, but we'll have a wee, well, we'll have a wee check. Yeah. So let's, let's look at the, the front cover as we do. And the magazine shows a battle for the ball between Alan Sunderland of Arsenal and Brighton Hove Albion's Mark Lawrenson. The ball was just in shot at the edge of the page and both players are fighting to get possession. The elbows are up from both and there's determination, stale and grit in their body language. It's hard to say which of the two will win the battle as it looks like the proverbial 50-50 situation. The company in text reads, Back in action after being sidelined through injury, Alan Sunderland in brackets, red shirt of Arsenal and Brighton's Mark Lawrenson. Now, Alan Sunderland is sporting his large Buffon type perm and a standard Umbro Arsenal kit, a red body and white sleeves with white shorts and all red socks. The collar is white and the cuffs and the short sleeve shirt are red. Uh, the Brighton strip is made by Buckter. It's blue and white stripes with the Buckter logo down the arms with a blue strip on either side. And on the shirt is the word Buckter rather than the logo. Uh, blue shorts and white Buckter logo and stripes down one side or down the side and the socks are white with two blue stripes across the top. Lawrence is sporting a bandage just under his knee. And Sunderland is wearing a pair of style matchmaker boots. We can't tell what Lawson has got on. So I've just given you a right visual description of this. Um, anybody, any thoughts on on this front cover? The battle going on. Do we think the who's going to win that one? It's hard to say who's going to get there, isn't it? Mm-hmm. I think Lawson's just in front of him. To be honest, he's using his elbows quite well. Yeah. Uh huh. Is, it, is Lawrence got moustache there? It's difficult to tell with that photograph. I think I think there is a, a little um, bit of moustache going on there. Yeah, moustaches there, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, and and Alan Sunderland moustache as well. Was it was never a mm. a, a prominent moustache that Sunderland had, was it? It was it was quite quite fair and a, a, dare I say wispy. Is it curly <laughs> hair he's got there, or is it definitely a pair? Can anybody remember? Got to be a perm. <laughs> I'm a victim of the perm as well. I had two perms right oh, about dear. that time. <laughs> I love it. Is, uh, you're too young to have a perm. 
Oh, not at all. Not at all. You see, you see my six-year photograph, uh, uh, school photograph. There's all these people with sort of like lanky hair and all that, and I've just got this hair like that. Brilliant. Mental-looking, you know. Yeah. Uh, aye, a victim of a parent. I'm going to look back. At, there's not that many photographs, thank goodness, but when you ever see any, you're just like, oh, my God, what was I thinking about, you know? Mm. I think I think we, we, we yeah we we had um, Jim Burke on our previous podcast Tom didn't we and there was a advert which I thought was Alan Sunderland but the, oh, the guy God, had that reached yeah yeah, yeah. It, it it took on a bit of a life that one and you know I, I eventually have conceded that it wasn't Alan Sunderland after every single photograph I saw of him had curly hair there wasn't one and this lad even though it looked like him. Had straight hair, and I just thought maybe one day he got the straighteners out, but there was no, no evidence whatsoever that that he ever had straight hair. So naturally curly, I'm sure it was, but I'm sure he's um, he's taken some um, you know pair match into that as well. I'm just thinking in the background there, would we reckon a very blurry Liam Brady? Brady, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even spot him. Aye, yeah, probably is. Aye, fair yeah. enough. Okay. So the, the other stuff on the page, at the top of the page it says, In Colour, European Championship Action. Uh, the magazine costs 20 pence. Uh, there are 12 encyclopedia of British football books to be won in a free entry competition. And there's a picture of the front of the book accompanying it. There's also a profile on Glenn Hoddle of Spurs. And, oh, here we go, there's a Partick Thistle team group in colour and a club spotlight. And that'll be interesting to look at. As we when we go inside, anybody want to pick anything else out about the the front cover, or have we done that to death? There's a profile on Glenn Hoddle as well to look forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll certainly we'll certainly touch on Glenn when we get. Oh, maybe in bad 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 use of phrase <laughs> there. <laughs> Let's look inside the magazine, shall we? Pages two and three. So shoot takes a closer look at the player everyone is talking about, and that's Glenn Hoddle of Spurs, and the the heading is Hero Hoddle. And it says, all the world loves a new hero. And England's football fans certainly got that the night Glenn Hoddle pulled on his country's shirt for the first time. This was in a 2-0 win over Bulgaria where Hoddle managed to get on the score sheet. Manager Ron Greenwood said of Hoddle, Glenn has a beautiful, delicate touch. He possesses great vision, excellent ball control and just like old wing halves, he scores goals from outside the penalty area. He's only 22 and there's a lot of years ahead of him. Now Spurs manager Keith Birkinshaw says about Hoddle's England cap, it's been a real battle at times to make him change. It's worked though, and we're all very pleased for him. Everyone at the club must take some of the credit. I'm particularly happy with the number of goals he's scoring. So Glenn has always had a close association with Spurs and first went to train with them aged 11. When he left school, he became an apprentice there and just over a year later made his first team debut at Stoke where he scored. He was named after Glenn Miller as his mum was a big fan of the American band leader. Ozzy Ardelis also gives his views on Hoddle. He says, Glenn has exceptional skill. I believe he can go on to become an internationally recognised star. He's very confident and I like the way he can pass accurately with either foot. Glenn's temperament is good too and he won't let all his success go to his head. When his contract with Spurs ended last summer, he nearly moved away to the continent with two German teams interested, but decided to say, stay and sign a new two-year contract. Glenn even took the unusual step of playing in goals for Spurs this season against Leeds United after the regular keeper, Barry Danes, was injured. Hoddle said, It was either Ricky Villa or myself. Ricky didn't appear too keen, so I took the initiative. 
My attitude was that I could only do my best, so I may as well enjoy it. Spurs won the game. He went on, he played another twice in goal for Tottenham. Is that right? Uh, in, right? 19, in 1980, he played uh, another twice. He played an FA Cup tie at Man United where they won 1-0 uh, in January 1980 and then he played against Norwich in goal uh, at the, in December 1980 as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't really remember it being a regular occurrence, but it must have been a semi-regular thing back in the days when there wasn't a, a sub-goalkeeper. Yeah. I remember it happened quite a few times with this. For instance, Jackie Campbell got in goals another game. Hmm. Or was that big guy, Brian Scrimger, the big... Yeah. Well, it was actually his best game, actually, because he, <laughs> he knew it was yeah. uh, More recently, um, oh, what's the guy's name again? Came from Air United, all the tattoos. Uh, played with Hearts as well. Uh, Stevenson. That's a guy. Right? Oh, he, he, he went in goals... First thistle as well, but I can't remember the circumstances then because we'd have, surely we'd have had a sub goalie. I mean, going back the way, it'd be more um, likely to happen, wouldn't it? Mm, absolutely. Yeah. But what, what I find fascinating about this article is all the talk about the the skills that he's got. You know, he's got a good left foot, good right foot. I'm saying as if it wasn't a thing in the English game at the time by English players, but I, I'm guessing it wasn't really, was it? It was. Um, I think they'd been missing that sort of skillful player for quite a few years. He had a great touch, and he glided. You know what I mean? He just glided through games. You know, and, and the goal he scored in that game against Bulgaria it was a side foot, mm. but it was a top corner. Although the keeper maybe should have had it. You know, but I thought he was a great player. Yeah, I thought really great to watch. Yeah. Yeah. So Glenn Hoddle born. October 57 in Hayes, Middlesex. So let's take a look at his career. It's Spurs between 75 and 87. Uh, Monaco, Swindon Town and Chelsea. So it Spurs 377 appearances, 88 goals in the league. Monaco 69, 27. Swindon 67, 2. Chelsea 31, 1. He's 53 England caps, eight goals there. And managing at Swindon, Chelsea, England. Southampton, Spurs and Wolves. So, Some like, goal-scoring record they had in France. Yeah. 27 yeah. and 69 league appearances. Yeah, that's what, mm-hmm. one, one and two, just about. So, yeah, that's that's really good. Um, as, as a midfield player, really, as well. Yeah. That's, that's brilliant. Um, so let, let's touch on the, the England period there So and how it ended. In an interview in the Times in January 99, he gave an interview that revealed a controversial belief that the disabled and others are being punished for sins in a former life. His contract with the FA was terminated the following month. I don't think he's certainly not. You know, I, I agree with you, Alan. He's a fantastic player. I actually quite like him as a pundit as well. Um, but I just get can't get past that period, and you know that 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 happened. That always just comes up. So I think he will always be tarnished by that. He will be. It's a strange one. I mean, it's a strange area to get into. It was round about the time he was using that, what's her name, Eileen Drury, as mm-hmm. sort of guru person, and he was touching on, it was Buddhism and retributive karma and stuff like that. I mean, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't think we should have uh, too much um, religion in football anyway, so no, certainly don't absolutely. go that way, you know? It, it seems a strange thing that you would offer, and so I'm, I don't know if the, the questions were, were loaded for him or anything like that, but it does seem a strange thing that you would offer that sort of information. Um, yeah, right. It's a strange, it's a strange kind of way, corridor to go down, really, at all. And then any sort of interview. Um, aye, it was unfortunate. Um, I certainly don't agree with these views, but 
you know, yeah. I don't know. Might come back to haunt them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even further. I see what you did there. <laughs> okay, so let's have a anything else on Glen Hoddle? Well, we've got to we've got to talk about Diamond Lights, haven't we? Okay. Oh, of course. Oh, no, no. Oh, I mean, what was that about? You know, more recently he was he was one of the masked singers in that Saturday Night oh. TV nonsense that's been on recently, <laughs> and I didn't see it, but apparently he was a grandfather clock or something like that. I'm, yeah. I'm not a look at it, but. Uh, as well, did you have some heart attack or something last year? The year before? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. He died since some health problems recently, didn't he? I think he was. I think he was at death's door for a while. Uh, he seemed to recover from that. He's back on the telly anyway, so yeah, back and singing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I mean, just talking, just talking about that. I mean, watching the top of the pops episodes they're showing the BBC, BBC Four for nineteen ninety. That seemed to be an era. If you had any kind of fame at all. You can yeah. maximise it by putting a record out. Because the Top of the Pops that was on the other night, the, the number one was by Timmy Mallet, which <laughs> uh, is just a dreadful cover version of uh, It's a Bitsy Teeny Weeny Yellow Polka Dot Bikini. But, but there's loads of what, what Pat and Mick, you know, like who were DJs, and uh, Rory Bremner had a, a cricketing <laughs> single. It, it was just this uh, era that you could parlay any kind of fame into having a record in the charts, you know? Yeah, soap stars, whatever, comedy yeah, yeah, records. Yeah, abso- absolutely. It just I mean, you don't really get comedy the records anymore, you know? But uh, aye, that sort of thing happened no. a lot, yeah. No, no, it's, no, it's a podcast they do, isn't it? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Okay, so let's move on to page four. And this is the Encyclopedia of British Football Book Competition. 12 books to be won in our free entry competition. The magnificent encyclopedia of British football contains everything you would wish to know about the game in this country. Filled with superb photographs and all the facts from the 1860s when the Football Association was formed, it's a must for every soccer fan. Um, I'll I'll stop at that point because, again, I've gone about this quite a bit. I mean, it was an education for me using the word soccer. It's um, what, What year are we on here? 1979. And soccer is still... The, the dominant phrase that's used in the magazines. So, you know, we've gone about this, about the uh, snobbery around, you know, when people use um, soccer being an American thing, but it's not. And it's it's something that I'll now fight in its corner because I've, I've become educated on it. Well, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's from association football, isn't it? That's mm-hmm. the, soccer, yeah. That's the derivation, but it's something that I'd never used, and I've not, and you don't use it in normal life. You only read it in magazines, or it's referred to. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Yeah. I have here a bit called a pictorial history of soccer, which you may have seen. Well, I had that when I was a wee boy, and when I looked at it, I'd never heard the word said, so yeah. I was calling it pictorial history of saucer. <laughs> I was put right, you know, and yeah. because it, it wasn't—it's not a word that you hear; it's a word that you hear referred to. Yeah, if you know what I mean. No, absolutely. Calls it soccer. You don't really soccer at the weekend. You don't say who fancies a game of soccer. No, you you're absolutely, football. absolutely right. Growing up myself, I can't remember ever being soccer or using soccer. Uh, I can't remember my dad ever saying soccer. But, but the thing is, you know, it, it's there. There's evidence in all the magazines that I've looked at, books that I've looked at, and it's and it's not it's players that are saying it, it's managers that are saying it. And okay, that you know they could have the argument, it, it, you know, there could be journalists or writers that are doing it for them. But no, mm. I, I I think it was, you know, I think I've heard that on old um, match of the days and things like that as well. So anyway, let, let's continue with the the competition. 
So a photo of the book that you couldn't win is shown and you have a chance to win one of them by answering three questions which are supplied. There's a coupon below the questions where you put your answers and name and address details. Now, I've not actually really looked at the questions. Did anybody look at the questions? I'm trying to see them now. I did look at them the other day and I've forgotten what they were. Okay, uh, Liverpool have won the league championship on more occasions than any other football league club. Have they triumphed A, 10, B, 11 or C, 12 times? See, at that time you'd have had to go to the library, wouldn't you? You mm. couldn't just look it up on your phone. <laughs> Uh, the second question is, there has only ever been one hat-trick scored in a Wembley FA Cup final. Was it A, Stan Mortensen, B, Stan Matthews, or C, Bill Perry, who scored three goals for Blackpool against Bolton Wanderers in the 1953 final? Oh, Stan, Stanley Matthews was that one? Um, I think it's Stan Mortensen. Really? It's Matthews. Is that the one that was the Matthews final, though? I, but see the game, it was a Matthews final. I think it was Stan Mortensen that actually scored the hat trick, right. even though it was called the Matthews final. Yeah. I'm, I think. I'm not absolutely sure about that. I know I know the answer to question three, although I can't see it on my screen because my eyes are <laughs> Yeah, right, Alan, I've just looked it up. Yeah, only uh, player have scored the hat-trick in the Wembley Cup final. Good shout. Imagine just going to hat in a cup final and get called somebody else's game. <laughs> yeah. It's just no fair. Well, that, that was, was it not um, the Brian Loudrup Cup final and Gordon Jury scored three or four goals or something like that against uh-huh. Hearts? Was it the 1-5-1 yeah. or something? 5-0? Five, 5-1, five, five, was it? Yeah. Uh, so the, the third question is, can you name the two Scottish internationalists in this list of cap players? A, Phil Thompson. B, Martin Buchan. C, David O'Leary. D, Kevin Beattie. E, Joe Corrigan. F, Willie Carr. G, Matt Lawrence. Or H, Jerry Francis. I think we can we can quite easily get that one. So I think between the th- four of us, uh, we wouldn't have been able to answer these. With the, <laughs> with the, you know, um, if, Willie Carr couldn't get many uh, caps for Scotland, did he? I'm not sure. I'm not sure how many he got. I don't think he he, he couldn't have got that many. Yeah. Um, no, I don't really remember him playing that much for Scotland, or if at all, you know. Well, obviously. Six, six Scotland caps he got. Yeah. Which, Between which, 1970 and 1972. Which I guess back then was actually all right, wasn't it? Considering you know when you look at a lot of the players who got caps and they're they're, they're not in double figures. You know, I, I don't think it's it's too 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 shabby. Okay, um, I'm going to move on to page six and we're going to have a look at, there's a, there's an advert here and one is for Super Striker and the other is Demon Driver. So we'll have a look at the both of them. So Super Striker is packed with exciting new features. There's a new super texture pitch with built-in barriers for even greater ball control. Individual left and right footed players with different faces and action poses. New team strips, diving goalkeepers, real nets. Plus the famous single-handed striker kicking action. That sounds a bit of a euphemism, that, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> there's, a, there's a drawing of the game being played by two young boys. It's basically a five-a-side game with a pitch and goals. The outfield players can be moved around the pitch and they kick the ball by pressing down on their head to activate the leg. The goalkeepers are controlled through the goals and, as mentioned in the Super Striker set, they actually dived with their arms out. Anyone have any recollections of this play, something like this, or this actual game? I think something so. similar, whether it was this one or not. I didn't have it, but I'm sure like some other guys in the street around the corner or whatever maybe had it. Uh, I, just, I just like that, uh, different faces. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. That's really <laughs> good, you know. 
I th- you I think like a number in my bag, but I've actually got different faces. I'd like to see those. See I th- how different they are. I think that's a, a different way of saying that they're painted by hand, isn't it? <laughs> that's, Aye. Yeah, pa- painted by hand in a little factory somewhere. Um, what about you, Simon? Anything like this? I, I sort of remember it. I think I think the difference between that and Sabutio was they were much bigger. The players, and were they not paper or cardboardy or something? Mm. Cause they... Yeah, that rings a bell from being mm-hmm. sort of cardboard. From the photograph, eh, for the from the picture, like the, the like the corner kickers that you used to get with Sabutio, you flick them, but these ones you see me press their head and they yeah. kind of kick the ball. Yeah, it's the, familiar, but I, I I didn't have any of these games. I had four wee brothers. Anything that <laughs> we brought into our house get wrecked. Do you know what I mean? So um, we did have Sabutio, but we'd play it on the floor, you yeah. know, and you know, I think we'd get kneeled on, and goals would get kneeled on, half the players would be dead <laughs> by the end of the game, you know, just but. Give it a go anyway. Yeah, I mean, as you say, and as I said as well, you press down on the the head and to do the kick. So I don't, if they were cardboard, I don't think that that would last. To the first one you do it, yeah. and the cardboard just folds over. I think the goalkeepers were plasticky, cardboardy. So I can't remember. They were awful feeble. I remember that, but mm. I don't really remember much at all. Yeah. No, there's a few similar kind of games like this that maybe yeah. not this particular one. You know what I mean? I'm not sure though. Is Sabutio out at this point? Yeah, yeah. Sabutio oh, yeah. have been out since uh, the sixties, late certainly at least middle to late sixties. It's the first advert that I've seen for Sabutio. So yeah, it was definitely out. Let's have a look at the next one. It's on here. Yeah, this this is the one that's exciting for me. Demon oh. Driver. Do you want to do you want to talk <laughs> through this one then, Tom? Well, well, I mean, what, what's noticeable about this is the the wee steering wheel mm. that's on it. Now, I, I don't think I ever had a game, uh, a wee sort of, I don't know what you would call it, console or, or, or something, but uh, certainly I had pals who had things like that, but I've never seen one that's got, that had a wee steering wheel, mm. like, uh, like Demon Driver's got. A working steering wheel, gear change lever, crash alarm light and buzzer, auto timer and lap counter, handheld and portable, no TV needed. Yeah, so I wonder what size it was. Yeah. Does it say? No, oh, it this thing's huge. Well, I'd I, I guess that the so there's a neutral for second and third gear. That's probably around about your your thumb size to to press those. So I think that would give you an idea. You, you probably you would use your your index finger. Yeah, yeah, you steering like to that, do the steering. Yeah, thumb, yeah, yeah. Index, now, now I, I had something that was similar to this, but not looks wise or anything, but function, and it was a. I can't remember the name of it, but it was a, it was a front body of a a Porsche, a red Porsche, and it had steering wheel, the screen in front, and an actual shifting gear stick, and it was the same sort of. So the screen on here is is it's like a racing car, and you move it left and right, and stuff comes down, and it's 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 not electronic in terms of it's not a screen, you know. It, I, I don't know, you know, clever things to be able to detect collisions and stuff like that. But it was the same idea. Just the roads, the the road position changed, things came down, you're supposed to avoid it. And let's face it, if you played it nowadays, you would, you'd be bored after two minutes. You'd be like, this is just too easy. But um, yeah, very similar to this, but I don't remember this Demon Driver. It looks it looks, it looks looks fun, doesn't it? I think it looks fun. Thanks. I think, I, I, certainly from my point, because growing up, I mean, we never had a car in the family. Um, so, so you know, it was always like you always, 
um, wanted to pretend you were driving. I, I, remember, I remember sitting in burnt-out cars at the garages around the corner from me, just pretending I was driving the car, and then I'd go home and I'd be absolutely stinking of smoke. You know, my mum, where have you been? And so... Do anything You've been burning out cars again, so we can sit. <laughs> yeah. Do that. No. <laughs> okay. So, anything else on this from Palatoy? It's a super gift from Palatoy. I've mm. never played any of these games at all. Mm. Kind of console games and all the rest of it. Yeah. Uh, just, just pass me by. Mm. Okay. So let, let's um, have a wee move on to page seven. And we're looking at the European Championships preview of Scotland versus Belgium. And the heading says, Steen's Dilemma. Changes are necessary, but few players to choose from. So the article says, Scotland are in grave danger of becoming a third-rate side only 19 months after threatening to rule the world and lift soccer's most prestigious prize in Argentina. That's what makes the European Championship match against Belgium at Hamden on Wednesday so absolutely vital. Although, of course, Scotland will not be going to Italy for the finals next June. A lot of Scottish players are being criticised for not performing for the national team, including Joe Jordan, John Wark, Alan Hansen, Asa Hartford and Graham Souness, all of which were given a hard time after Scotland's recent 2-0 defeat away to Belgium. Manager Jock Steen says, There's no point in saying that this player will be axed and this one will be rested. We haven't really got all that many from which to choose. Mm-hmm. Steen does talk about his disappointment in that Belgium game and points to Kenny Dalglish and Alan Ruff as having pass marks from the Scotland side and there's also mention of a call up for Roy Aitken and David Proven the article has an accompanying black and white photo of action from the Belgium game with Ian Monroe for the Scots being tackled by defender Julian Cools now as a spoiler Roy Aitken started the game and David Proven came on as a sub but Scotland <coughs> went down 3-1 at home to the Belgians who were one three 0 up inside half an hour. John Robertson scored for the Scots. It's talking about nineteen months after threatening to rule the world. That's different days, isn't it? Was that a threat or was it? <laughs> <laughs> yes, aye. There was um, there was lots of that going about in seventy eight before we got there, wasn't there? You know, mm. I'm still angry about nineteen seventy eight. Still angry at Ali McLean. Still angry at the setup, SFA, the whole thing, because we did have a good team. And yep. we may not have gone there and won it, but to not get out of that group was uh, criminal, mm. you know, at the time. Um, when you, when you go by and Alan Ruff's talking about, you know, playing against Peru and saying, so like, if they hit a free kick, who's likely to hit it and all that? And Alan McLeod saying, oh, don't bother about that, you know. You know, have you had a look at the opposition? Uh, it doesn't matter how they play, it's how we play, all that stuff. I, I'm still, still, all this time later, I'm just, I'm just like... That should have been better, you know mm. what I mean? That whole competition should have been better. Not winning that, because that was that would have been ridiculous, you know. But yeah. Great things happening on the way out there, you know. I, th- I think um 74, 78, 82, possibly no, no so much 86, but those three we had a squad, a team that should have mm-hmm. done better, should have done much better. And the 74 we were unlucky. Um, but 78, 82. All different. Yeah. Yeah. But 70, 78 and 82, we had a team that under underachieved, underplayed. And, you know, it, we, we can look back now and, you know, be happy just to get there. But, um, yeah, I'd, I'd, I wish I was a bit older at the time to fully appreciate just how, how possible things were, were back then for us. I think 74, you're right, we were unlucky. We played well in 74. 
when we played Brazil, we played Yugoslavia. Mm. The problem was we only beat Zaire 2 0. And um, what did the Yugoslavia took nine off them or something yeah. like that? But by that time, Zaire had chucked it. Yeah. But when they'd all fallen out and they weren't getting paid, and you know, half the team were just weren't bothered, you know. Mm. But 78, the difference between the promises we made and what we actually achieved just it, it killed me. It killed me at the time. I'm still, I'm still <laughs> angry about it. Well, we, we had we had a lap of honour before we left. Well, that was the sort of thing that was quite embarrassing, actually, to be honest. But as I say, I mean, promises of winning it and all the rest of it, threatening to to rule the world, was one thing. But not getting out of the group was another one. You know, still it gave us, it still gave us the Holland game, it still gave us those memories. You know. Yeah. Yeah, you know. yeah, absolutely. No, it's like there, there are in it, there's more memories for for us than there are for the most recent generations of Scottish fans. You know what they've had to put up with, but then again, maybe they've they've been um, spared to a degree the the <laughs> disappointment. I mean, you know, we could say that we've been we've been lucky to to see us get to World Cups and stuff like that. But then again, on the flip side, the disappointments of that. I would I would take the disappointments over never qualifying any day. No, absolutely. I mean, you know, not to qualify since what ninety eight for any major tournaments is just pretty mm. awful, you know. I yeah. And, and you know, yeah, you're right about because as much as I'm still angry about it, I almost forgot about the Holland game. That was great, yeah. you know. Mm. Are you still angry? Yeah, kind of. I mean, I, I remember bits of it. I don't remember that clearly. I was five, I think, on that one. Uh, so I remember, I remember, but I certainly remember the excitement and the disappointment. The only thing I kind of remember, really, was the Holland game, and then, then obviously after that, it's, it's, it's 1982. I think was my first big World Cup, mm. um, and that was that was that brown Brazil team, of course, that, that, that should have won it. Same kind of thing. Brazil with the Brazil in '82 with Scotland the '78, best mm. team, best squad there, and did nothing. So I kind of remember it, kind of. I remember hitting my bra. I remember wearing the Scotland 1978 football strip in Cornwall. We were on holiday, and my brother was wearing an Argentina strip, and I hit him with a golf club. <laughs> and that was my abiding memory of the 1978 World Cup. Thank you. Yeah. Deliberately, or was this just a mistake? I don't think, but there could have been some sibling rivalry there. So at the moment, <laughs> it was definitely not deliberate. Mm. However, Robin, if you're listening, potentially it was the Argentina strip that did it. <laughs> and potentially, he's also sorry. <laughs> okay, do we want to talk about this photograph? So there's a photograph of Ian Munro. Um, it shows strip. a what a good Scotland strip it was at the mm-hmm. time, yep. I think. I mean, there's there's so much perfection in there. We've got a pair of Pumas, we've got the Adidas boots, the Adidas Tangle Ball. Simon, you're, you're, the, you're the, the, the kit lover more than probably any of us. Talk us through. How long did they wear that kit for then? It must have been about a good three or four years. Mm. Because it's similar to the '74, mm, with the, co- the collars is a bit bigger. Isn't the collars similar, huh? Yeah, so they kept that right through, right up until 1981, I think, when they'd taken the filled-in collar out. Yeah. The crack in '81. I was thinking sort of Alex McLeish in the '81 strip. Um, so that that strip did them almost about eight years, I think. Yeah. <laughs> Perfect. Yeah. Couldn't be beaten. Should bring that one back, actually. I do like that big collar. I like that classic yeah. collar, you know. Least big collar, there's a number on the shorts as well. I was at school with Jock Steen's grandson, and I remember him coming in to, his name is John, and he came in to school one day with Joe Jordan's shorts. 
Joe Jordan's match worn Scotland shorts, fabulous, absolutely fabulous. I've never tried them on, but they're still muddy. <laughs> okay, let's move on to pages eight and nine. So, this is a news desk compiled by Bill Day. So, it's a bunch of little news snippets that we'll, we'll pick a few of them out. So, the first one we're going to look at is Hay joins McLeod. And it says, former Celtic and Chelsea star David Hay has been appointed assistant manager to Ali McLeod at Motherwell. Now, Hay would go on to take over the manager position from Ali in 1981 and would lead Motherwell to the first division title and promotion to the Premier League. I, uh, I, was, I was surprised how young he was at that time. He was only about 31. Hmm? Did he have to give up football? Did he get a, a, an injury that kind of... Bad, bad ankle injuries, I think it was. Did he have an eye oh. injury? I had an eye injury, yeah, as well. Because he, he had all series of them and he was what a player he was. I was a great player, right? Mm-hmm. He was a great player in 74 at the World Cup then. Yeah. Yeah, so, he did quite well with Motherwell and then, you know, had a reasonably good managerial career, didn't he? Okay, so the next one I'm going to look at here is Will's revolt threat is the heading. And it says, Will's could have a revolt in their hands because of their pitch. In the summer, the playing area was moved into the middle of Molyneux to make it easier for fans in the new stand to see the matches. Unfortunately, the players themselves are not very happy about the situation because they claim they are all at sea at the strange surroundings and it's upsetting their play. Now club officials are seriously considering moving the pitch back to the original site. Wolves drew four of their first eight league games at Molyneux. Now, I have provided... A couple of photos of Molyneux for reference to get an idea of what this meant. Now, the first photograph shows the ground before the new stand was built. And if you note the positions of the floodlights on the left-hand side. Now, on the second photo, this shows the view from behind one of the goals. On the right is a new stand, and you'll notice the floodlights opposite. These are the, in the same position as in the previous photo, so they've effectively knocked down the old stand and moved the new stand over to the right. Because of this, the pitch is now much larger. You can see that they've then moved the pitch further over towards the new stand, and apparently this happened twice. Very, very strange thing. I mean, I, I don't even know if I can just dis- I've described this um, well enough, but visually, it's it just looks really strange, doesn't it? Go on. <laughs> so, so, but so if, if we're looking straight ahead, if if you think where the two floodlights are, and you've got the floodlight right. on the right hand side, basically that that was where the old stand would have been coming mm-hmm. up towards you. So what they've done is they've demolished that stand, moved the new stand over to the right, moved the pitch over to the right, and so you've now got this big gap between the left-hand side of the pitch and the old um, terrace and stand bit there. And they're saying that because of this change in the orientation of it, it's, it's affecting their game, which can't can't be the case, surely not. I mean, surely you just walk out as a football pitch, you know what I mean? And that's what you're playing on. I think, you know, yeah, no matter I th- where that is. I think in any of us that have played, once you're out in the pitch, you don't even notice what's off the pitch, I, I don't think. I don't know, maybe, maybe this could be one of these gypsy curse things again. That was the real reason they moved it back. I'm, know, I'm, sure, I'm sure Wolves have been involved in that before. Maybe Birmingham or Wolves, it seems to be all around the Midlands that the, the gypsy yeah. curses happen. Uh, I wonder why. So we'll move on to the, the next article here, and it's Fashionu 2. Yeah. That's the heading. It's a bustling Norwich striker, Justin Fashionu, has made the top grade at 18 and could become the next black player to blast his way into the England side. Now Norwich reckon they have unearthed another black diamond in his 15-year-old brother, John, 
who's already made an exciting impact in the club's south-east counties side. Manager Ken Brown says, John is still a bit raw, but he's the same strength and aggression that Justin first showed when he joined us. Any thoughts on, on the Fashion New Brothers? I don't remember I don't remember John being at Norwich. Did he ever play for the senior team? Or did he come through at Wimbledon? I think he... And I, I, I'd be guessing, but I think I've seen him in team photos and maybe some action shots. But as I say, I'm just guessing about that. He really, he really came through in that Wimbledon team, though, when he was fashion mm. to bash. Yeah. Um, yeah. Justin was. I mean, it's, it's that it's that goal of the century he scored. You know, the yes, Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, what a what a footballer he was. What a player. Yeah, I know he did. He did play seven league games for Norwich. Uh, and then he moved on to Lincoln City and and then played 50 league games for Millwall mm. before getting on to Wimbledon. Right, I see. I see. A, a, fair, a fair bit of a career before Wimbledon then, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Okay, on to the, the next article I've picked out here and it's Bruno aids Joe's comeback. And Joe Jordan of Man United and Scotland fought back to fitness by racing his Doberman, Bruno, across the Cheshire Hills close to his Brestbury home. Joe's picture with Bruno in his wellies. That's Joe, not Bruno. And the article also mentions under-21 England star Gordon Cowens has been a dog lover and says that he has five of them. Him and his dad are rearing greyhounds and hope to see them on the racetrack sometime next year. Um, I'm taking the Joe Jordan story with a pinch of salt. I reckon he's just been out walking his dog. Uh-huh. Yeah. What do you reckon? And he says, what are you doing? I'm keeping fit by racing my dog. And that's that's the story written up. <laughs> there um, we go. Yeah, there's a good couple of inches used up in the shoot magazine that 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 <laughs> week. Yeah, it's it's a fair ensemble he's got on as well. That that jacket looks as though it could sort of be a dress, no a dress jacket, but a sort of trendy Miami Vice type jacket. But he's wearing it with a pair of jeans and wellies. He's kind of he's rocking the look, but he kind of looks like. Uh, Mick Jagger's tough big brother. <laughs> That's a good shout. Yeah, yeah. You know, what I mean? yeah. he's he's a fucking mess with him. He's quite, he's quite, quite a boy. I'd rather oh, mess with a dog. <laughs> <laughs> you don't see many Dobermans these days. There, there, there's, there's actually, I think oh. I maybe saw one the other day, but you just they're not as popular as they used to be in the. It would have been the eighties. The, the Doberman. I don't think they're very really trendy dog these days, are they? Yeah. yeah, too, too big, I think, for a lot of people. Okay, moving on to the next article, and it's Derby check on Archibald. And Derby County are the latest English club to take an interest in the goal-scoring exploits of Aberdeen's Steve Archibald, one of the hottest pieces of property in Scotland at the moment. Liverpool, Arsenal and West Brom have also watched the former Clyde player this season, but manager Alex Ferguson has no intention of allowing him to leave. Ferguson was also displeased when he heard that the captain, Willie Miller, announced his intention to quit the club. Apparently, he wasn't too happy with the new terms being offered to him by the club and fancies his chances in English football. And it says the Dons will do everything to prevent that from happening. So, as we know, Steve Archibald moved to Spurs at the end of this season that we're talking about. And Miller must have obviously got his terms worked out as he stayed at Aberdeen for the rest of his career. And shall we take a look at Steve Archibald, uh, born September 56. Now, he started, uh, what we've got here is on, on trial with East Stirlingshire. He played one game back in 74 before moving on to Clyde. He was there for three years, played 65 league games and scored seven goals. I think he was a, midf- was a midfielder to start with at Clyde. 
and he went to Aberdeen with Billy McNeil, uh, and he took him there. And he was there between 77 and 80, and it was Billy McNeil that turned him into a, a striker. He scored 29 goals in 76 league games before moving on to Spurs. Then he moved to Barcelona in 84. He was there for four, four seasons, four years. Uh, moved to Blackburn Rovers on, on loan. That was part of, because there was a European limit on for or there was a limit on foreigners in um, Europe at the time, and or was it just Spain? Or was it? It was just Spain, was it? I think uh, Spain and, and Italy. Spain had and Italy. Two foreigners yeah. limit. And they had um, Mark Mark Hughes and well, well, Gary Hughes and Lineker and uh, Archibald sort of fell out of favour. But after that, Dundee United, after the Dundee United games, Hughes kind of fell out of favour and Archibald got back into the team again mm. for a while. But I so I couldn't tell you who, but it probably was. You're you're probably right. There probably was other um, foreigners in the Barcelona team that kind of pushed him out a wee bit by that point. Yeah. So after his uh, loan spell Blackburn, he moved to Hibs and played a couple of seasons there. Uh, moved back to Spain f- with Espanyol, and then you know moved moved up uh, a rung or two when he came to St Mirren from playing in Spain, and then Clyde Reading Fulham. Player manager at East Fife and Home Farm Everton. We've got down as the last. We played one game there as well. 27 Scotland games, four goals. And he had spells managing at East Fife and Airdrie as well. Um, was he not? I, was he not? What, what consortium was he part of when he was going to buy a club? Do you remember Airdrie? that? I think it was Airdrie. Was it Airdrie? Yeah. 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 I'm sure it was Airdrie, was it, Tom? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was involved more as than just manager with Airdrie, but I can't really remember the circumstances. Um, but he was bringing players in and paying them decent money and stuff like that, but I don't know if it was sustainable. I can't really remember the full details about that. Would, would it have been him that... I'm, I'm just thinking, um, what was the, the Spanish player who went to St Mirren? Was that when Steve Archibald was there? The Spanish international player? Do you remember? Yeah, wasn't it? What was it, Victor? Or was Victor, it him? Victor, that yeah, yeah, yeah. So that that must have been at the same time. So yeah. we we spoke earlier on about Glenn Hoddle, and Steve has his musical talent as well. He once appeared twice in the same episode, the Top of the Pops, where he sang "We Have a Dream" with the Scotland '82 World Cup squad, and then with his Spurs teammates, along with Chaz and Dave, singing in "Tot Num Tot Num," no one can stop them. I think that's, <laughs> that better be the right one. <laughs> Again. <laughs> yeah, you're all right. You're all right. He was inducted into the Scottish Hall of Fame in 2009. Uh, did we want to talk about Steve Archibald at all? Yeah, yeah, it was good. I mean, how many games did he play for Scotland? Did you say there? 27. 27. I mean, at this time, in Scotland had lots of good strikers, but they couldn't all fit them all in, mm-hmm. you know. Um, there's times that Scotland should have done better because of that. But um, aye, he, he's a good player, scored lots of goals. And twice on top of the pops. I mean, that's twice in the same night. You know? yeah. So was it the Tottenham? Tottenham. No one can stop it. Wasn't it Aussie's dream? Or that was that would be earlier, wouldn't it? I think it was because obviously they got the FA Cup final eighty one and eighty two. One eighty two. So aye. it would have been either either or. Aye. aye. Yeah. I mm. now. So uh, Ray Clements and Glenn Hoddle were on top of the pops twice that same night as well because the England team. We're on top of the pops as well that night. Was it a football special that night, aye? Mm. Aye. Yeah. My FA Cup, my World Cup, aye. Uh-huh. Is it the, the, height of, um, the, height, the height of British music, wasn't it, back then? <laughs> no. So what was, the, what was the England song at that time then? They run away. We yeah. are on. They're on 22. This time. 
this time it would have been. Which, you know, I'm on record as saying is brilliant. This time, we're going to find a way, find a way to get away this time. We're all together. You got a devoted fan of that song, Andy. I love it, I love it. We'll get it right. We are on 22. Hear the roar of the oh. red, white, and blue. Yeah. <laughs> you have to, you have to, you have to sing it like that, don't you? Simon Knights. Simon, you have to sing it like a this time, more than any other time, this time. We digress, we digress. Okay, so back back to the magazine here, and oh, Jasper's dream comes true. So this is a, a little story about Jasper Carrot. And it yep. says, Peter Taylor, Nottingham mm. Forest assistant manager, influenced comedian Jasper Carrot to become a new director of Birmingham City. Both Peter and Jasper are pictured in a black and white photo in their dinner jackets and bow ties. I'm going to suggest that Jasper Carrots is a sort of um, suede. Vel- fe- Vel- yeah, fe- yeah. Velvet one, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to suggest it might, might even be purple or something. <laughs> yeah, I, could I, well. I was going to say maybe even a green velvet, but it mm. probably wouldn't be if it's Birmingham. It'd be a, a purple or a blue or yeah. something, wouldn't it? But yeah, it's for Francis, though, doesn't it? It, it, yeah, it, there's always been that sort yeah. of thing, I think, but the, it doesn't, the two of them do look alike. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a pointed Tony Woodcock as well. Mm. Mm. So it says that Taylor is a big fan of Carrot, and it was a few months, that's another euphemism there, isn't it? T- Taylor <laughs> Taylor is a big fan of Carrot. <laughs> big fan of Carrot. <laughs> Taylor is a big fan of Carrot, and it was a few months ago that he suggested he should become the, a director of the club. Carrot, who really misses a home match, is very concerned about public relations and is keen to foster as much good spirit as possible, saying, It's a dream come true for me to join the Birmingham City Board. I've been a Birmingham nut all my life. I did try and find if there was any sort of record of anything that he did, but I couldn't find anything um, that suggested... I mean, I'm sure he he did do things, but there was nothing to say this is the, the sort of things he put in place. So... If anybody knows out there what if you're a, a Birmingham City fan and if you know what Jasper Carrot brought to the team, then by all means contact us and let us know. That'd be good. Well, there's a, there's another uh, classic top of the pops um, hit song is Funky Moped mm-hmm. in the same theme of all these bad songs that we've been talking about all night. You know, was that was that Jasper Carrot? That was Jasper Carrot. Uh, but people were buying it because the B side was some sort of dirty version of the Magic Roundabout. <laughs> Which uh, I, I I researched this and actually listened to the other day and it's rubbish mm. <laughs> and it's not particularly entertaining at all. But uh, check it out if you want. We we, we used to have some Jasper Carrick uh, records and I remember going to the Clydebank Library because they did audio tapes and records mm. there that you could get and we got some Jasper Carrick and the one that the one that I remember more than anything he, he did a Twelve Days of Christmas song. And it, and it was like a wee heavy and a half pint was the end bit, and the, you know, rather than and a partridge in a pear tree, but it was a wee heavy and a half pint. And they went through all that, and by the end of it, he was absolutely steaming because everything is a drink that he's getting. So that, that's that's the music that I remember of him. I, I remember liking him, but I actually watched some of his stuff the other night, and it was. It didn't age particularly well. But, um, no, I think he was all right at the time. Now and again, mm. he was good in telly, but he kind of the, the thing, the detectives that he did with Robert Powell was mm. good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I can't remember when that was, but it was actually quite a good series. Very sort of daft 
kind of cock series, mm. uh, which I quite liked. But I thought he was a good stand-up. At, yeah. He was good Saturday night entertainment when, you know, before match of the year, whatever it was, you know, back in the day, whenever, mm. whenever he did his Saturday night show, you know. Yeah. No, listen, I'm, I'm definitely being a wee bit harsh on him there, and I apologise for that. I was a fan, and I, I guess I am still a fan, so... You are still a fan of Carrot. I'm still I'm still a fan of Carrot. Yeah, just just like uh, Peter Taylor. He's a fan of Carrot. Okay, so I quite like this one, even though it's a bit Airdrie, Tom, so please forgive me. Uh, and this one is Airdrie Meet the Public. Uh, Bobby <laughs> Bobby Watson, ambitious manager of high flying Airdrie, has dreamed up a novel way of luring the crowds to Broomfield Park. On the morning of every home game, Bobby and a group of his first team players visit a department store in the town and meet the public to talk soccer and sign autographs. Then, before the kick-off, the crowd are entertained by a penalty-taking competition involving goalie Ernie McGarr and three pretty girls. Each girl has a concealed number on her back. All the programmes are numbered and three of them have the same number as the girls. The girl who scores the most penalties reveals her number. And the holder of the programme with the same number is presented with a gift voucher from the store the players visited before the match. That's quite a... It's got a uh, hall. Uh, it's got a it's hall. Quite, it's quite complicated. Hmm, I mean, are they definitely going to score a penalty before they reveal the number on their back? Yeah, and I'm, where are they going to get three pretty girls in Airdrie? I'm, I'm more worried about nowadays getting a department store in there that would be a pawn <laughs> shop or a, you know something like that nowadays, wouldn't it? Or a, it'd be Ladbrokes, something along those yeah. lines but yeah I, no, I, I, I think that's a you know quite a, a novel way of trying to you know drum up some support so well done well done I think <laughs> guy wasn't in the team yeah then we got no he would have been he would have still been there he would go out before the game and do a penalty competition with three pretty girls you gotta remember back then they weren't even doing warm ups you know True. so <laughs> he was ahead of the game with that, that was him getting a warm up. There we go. So, okay, we're going to look at between pages 10 and 13. Here is this thing called the captain's booklet insert. So, within the magazine, occasionally they would give you um, these items that you would build up over the weeks. And what you would do is you put them together into a booklet. They would actually probably supply, and one of the magazines would supply likes of. Um, a string thing with metal bits on the end that you can join together and I'm sure they have a name but basically to bind this together so between pages 10 and 13 in this one we have uh, we'll look at a few of them we've got Dennis Darcy of Montrose Joe Waters of Grimsby Town David Evans of Halifax Town Nick Chatterton of Millwall Tony McAndrew of Middlesbrough Bobby Graham of Hamilton Ackies Billy Eyre of Hartlepool and Mark Leeson of Meadowbank Thistle so Obviously, we will pick out the Scots, definitely, and maybe look at one or two of the others. So the first one we'll pick out is Dennis Darcy of Montrose. And firstly, you know, the first time I, I saw the name Dennis Darcy, it's just, it's not a common name you see um, in Scotland, never mind Scottish football. It's the D apostrophe Arcy, um, which, yeah, you got you got to say that. Is that how you say it? <laughs> So let's, let's take a look. Dennis is photographed in black and white. Uh, it's a little more than a headshot with only the top of the shirt visible and it's a high-necked round collar. He's sporting an impressive moustache with relatively unkempt hair. And the accompanying article says, strength with skill, talent and tenacity. That's the best way to describe 
Montrose's six-foot centre-back and captain. He rarely gets the headlines, but his worth to the Lynx Park team is invaluable. He's picked up the nickname The Incredible Hulk because of his mammoth, mammoth build and size, but Darcy's power doesn't overshadow his considerable talent. He's one of the most consistent defenders in Scotland and rarely puts a foot wrong. So just as a wee spoiler, this season was his last at Montrose and he moved to a broth the same year. So I've just got Montrose, 298 league games there, four goals and three three games at a broth. Devon Vale and he finished his career at Montrose where he actually managed as well. And the next one we'll look at is Joe Waters of Grimsby Town. And Joe scored both goals in his debut against QPR in the FA Cup quarter-final back in 1973 with Leicester City. He never fulfilled his early pro- promise, only playing 13 league games at Filbert Street before moving on to Grimsby Town. He made, the two, he made two appearances for the Republic of Ireland and left town in 1984 before moving to the States with his career was rejuvenated as he made 358 appearances for Tacoma Stars between 1984 and and 1992, so he went in, out to the States and did well. I mean, he played 356 league games for Grimsby Town as well, but, I mean, what what a start to your career, you know, in your debut, FA Cup quarter-final against QPR, and you st- score two goals, and then only to have another 12 games for Leicester after that. That's, um, that's a bit of a disappointment. So next one we'll look at is Tony McAndrew, and he's from Glasgow. He was made Middlesbrough captain at the start of the season and has formed a centre-back partnership with former striker Billy Ashcroft, where Tony is fulfilling the tutor role and guiding Billy through his new position. He went to Ersson Park from school in 1971 and made his first team debut in 1973. I love stories like that when you hear about, you know, the two players, the older one and the, the younger one, or maybe somebody moving into a different position and how one of them takes them under the wing and, and you know, talks them through it and I, I just like hearing about that sort of thing um, it's a lovely strap he's got on there eh? oh, it's, yeah cracker anybody want to talk through that these are guys I don't really remember I remember the name Tony McAndrew did he play all his years in uh, England rather than did he ever play in Scotland he, he never he from Glasgow but... yeah he never played in Scotland he did a wee loan spell in the States uh-huh. um, he play, also played for Chelsea and Middlesbrough um in Darlington and Hartlepool as well, but um, no, he never he never came back and played here. He's currently the youth team manager at Aston Villa, so he's he's still in the game, still involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the the strip that Tom's talking about is a it's all red. It's a Adidas one. There's a big it's a big thick white collar, uh, short sleeve. It's just it's classic classic Adidas yep. from that that period. Very simple. Mm-hmm. Okay, next one is Bobby Graham of Hamilton Ackies. So we, we talked about Bobby Graham a couple of weeks ago, Andy, when we were on with David Goldblatt. Okay, but what do we what do we speak about in that one? Well, we just talked about he plays with Hamilton. He started with Liverpool. <laughs> yeah, he played, he played um, hundred games for Liverpool. Yeah, well, that that was that was one one of the things we noticed because we none uh-huh. of us really recalled him or but yeah I played over 100 league games mm-hmm. yeah and, and he scored loads of goals the, the season before they signed uh, uh, Keegan and Toshak and then he just sort of that was his Liverpool career over basically yeah. you know but he played, I remember him with Muddle certainly scored goals I remember the name but uh, yeah you know there's not that much footage from those times so you hardly ever you, you can't really find it you know if you want to go looking for it you know yeah yeah, because obviously he played over 100 league games for Motherwell and Hamilton Mackies as well. So mm-hmm. three of his teams he played over 100 times in the league for. Mm-hmm. 
eighty goals over the two two spells there as well. So eighty goals at Motherwell and Hamilton. I mean, I think in this article they say he's guaranteed sort of twenty a season, but it, I think it sort of worked out as ten a season. But um, yeah, still still a, a decent return. But yeah, he's, he's in uh, Hamilton. It's uh, again you don't see much of the strip, but it's a admiral red and white hooped one with a the red quite a big red wing collar as well. I'm sure the Hamilton fans would would be, you know, ripping it off your back to to get that one. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's have a look at the next one, which is Mark Leishan, who hasn't bothered brushing his hair, or he's brushed half of it for this photograph. Um, so Mark Leishan of Meadowbank Thistle, and the article says, Meadowbank are not the most fashionable club in British soccer, but the Edinburgh part-timers are determined to make the big time one day. Typical of their go-ahead attitude is captain Mark Leishan, only 23 but already an outstanding leader of the Thistle team. While younger brother Paul was rapidly making a name for himself as a goalscorer with Falkirk, midfielder Mark was forced to bide his time with the junior club Newton Grange star. He was eventually signed by Thistle and made his league debut against his brother Paul at Falkirk. Mark is employed with the vehicle licensing department in Edinburgh. It's a great wee bit of information just to throw in at the end there. Yeah. Now, there's there's very little information that I could find on Mark, but he did join his Stirling and played between 82 and 83, and the year after he left to join Haddington Thistle, uh, his brother Paul actually joined his Stirling and played there for a couple of years. So I was, I was hoping at one point they were going to have played for his Stirling together, but I think they, they just missed each other by a year there. It's not a name I remember at all. I mean, I remember very little about Meadowbank Thistle, come to think of it, never mind. You know, I know Thistle, Thistle Patrick Thistle played them in well, uh, when they were Ferranti Thistle in the mm. Scottish Cup before they um, changed the Meadowbank. Of course, they changed again and they were Livingston, aren't they? Yeah, it was, it was if never. That, if that's the way it works, you know yeah. what I mean? <laughs> yeah, Thistle beat them 6 1 uh, at home. I think I've actually written it down. Where are we? 1974 it was. Mm. Uh, Patrick Thistle played Ferranti Thistle in the Cup 6-1. Mm. I can remember Adrian Sprott, who was the guy, the Hamilton player who knocked out Rangers. Yeah. He uh-huh. went to Bank, I'm sure, after that as well. He had some really right. good players at Bank. There's a collection of some ex-Premier League players, but I think they always had financial problems, you know? It was a terrible ground to go and watch football, though. Oh. The, the old... Um, yeah. Commonwealth Stadium, or what, was it called the Commonwealth Stadium? Yeah. Was that right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was just, just, it just didn't feel like. I mean, it was like you know, there was people running around the tracks and stuff like that. There was gym classes going on. There was just, it was people shot and putting a shot and all that sort of thing over at the side. It was just like, and there you are watching, watching a game. And I don't know, Thistle would play Meadowbank in the the Spring Cup. Remember the first year that the. Premier League started, and I think they just played each other three times. Sorry, not the Premier League, the First Division. When they, when they split the leagues, 75, 76 or whatever it was. Mm. So at the end of the season, it was the Spring Cup after you, the, the the league games, and we played a game there, and it was just, the wind was crazy. I remember Alan Ruff trying to take a, a bike kick and it coming back into the, the area and stuff like that. It was just a terrible place to watch football. Never saw a good game there, you know. <laughs> Also too far away from the action as well. Yeah, yeah a bit weird. Yeah. Maybe Will's going to get that sorted out for him. <laughs> exactly. Is that fair to recall, right, there was, there was a running track inside when you went, when you paid in and, and then where you got your pie and bovril kind of thing? Oh, yeah, you had like to a, walk across that to, aye, uh-huh. It was like 100 metres. You got to stand. <laughs> uh-huh. 
Aye. Mm-hmm. That was a strange place. Mm-hmm. Okay, moving on to page 16, and it's the You Are The Ref we're going to have a look at. So I've picked out a couple of the... There's a few here, but I'm going to have a look at number one. And it's a player collides heavily with a teammate, but in retaliation he strikes an opponent by mistake. After sending him off, should you restart the game with A, an indirect, an, a direct free kick, B, an indirect free kick, or C, a drop ball? Shall, shall we take that one that he's so angry that he's been in an accidental collision that he actually means to batter his own own player, but he punches one of the other ones instead? I mean... And you would only been asked what the restart is. Yeah, I think I think that would be criminal proceedings nowadays, something like that. Would be. So, yeah, it's a direct free kick. Of course it is. That's a, that's, a, that's a silly one. So, number three I'm going to look at, and a defender plays a goal kick before it leaves the penalty area. In this scenario, the goal kick would be retaken. However, as we know, recent rule changes mean that that's now permitted within the laws of the game. So, what, what do we think on that rule? Do we do we you know that you can play it to one of your players in the box? It doesn't have to go to the box. Do we think it's improved the game? I, it was a long time coming, wasn't it? I mean, it was a law that was about for so, such a long time. It was just sort of accepted. Um, it took me by surprise when they changed it because I'd, I'd never really thought about it. I suppose you mm. know what I mean. But it gets the game going quicker. You can see it now if a, if a keeper gets to the ball plays a quick free, uh, quick goal kick out to somebody in the box and they can carry on with the game. So hmm. I guess it does speed it up a bit, you know. Yeah. How about you, Simon? How do you think? Yeah, defenders can play with both feet now. Most, most, mostly, they're far more mobile than they used to be. So I think had that been introduced then, it would have been a very different result. <laughs> I think players are actually better, they're better with their feet. A lot of defenders are much more comfortable with the ball coming out to them as well. So yeah, rather than just lumping up the pitch, that, yeah, I think it's good, man. Keeps keeps the game moving. And it also gets that quick restart as well. What about you, Tom? Because Clay, Clay Bank start with quite a you know, a short pass from the back nowadays, don't they? Do we? Yeah. Oh, I can't see. I can't see. I've can't see. I've noticed. Yeah, I think but... we do. We we try and play um, a short ball from the from the, the <laughs> goal kicks if if at all possible. But yeah, no, I I I like it. Yeah. Because it was like that time where you would just sort of wait, you'd be players would be standing waiting for the ball to just roll outside the, yeah, uh, outside the penalty box before they could play it and play it back to the goalkeeper. And uh, so yeah, no, I I like it. Plus, there's more chance for the defender getting dispossessed, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, see, see that that that's my sort of um, take on it. That you know, there's there's because of the way goalkeepers are now, especially there there's a chance for the the complete and utter mess up. Which is, yeah. you know, as a goalkeeper taking a, a bye kick, Andy, what were you looking to do? Thump it up the pitch as hard as you could. So I, I, I was terrible with bye kicks, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't. I always got somebody to do it for me. It wasn't until I, I got, I got a lot older that I could actually take take them to any sort of um, decency. So yeah, I, 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 I hoped that I was in a team that liked to play it short from the back and didn't want to, you know, put it on them <laughs> in the halfway line. <laughs> you know. Didn't, didn't happen very often that no yeah on the blaze at Dulcetter right, in the wind yeah. yeah well I'd have to make a wee sandcastle and put the ball on it in order to get some lift on it okay so 
going to have a look at the Ray Wilkins rights for you. So this is pages 16 and 17, and it's why we don't fear Europe's best. So Ray talks about England having recently qualified for the Euro 80 competition in Italy, but says that the last game against Bulgaria was disappointing and lethargic. The game was initially to be played on a very foggy Wednesday evening. The England team left their hotel at 5.50pm as the hotel was full and their booking had run out. When the the players got to the ground, it was obvious that the game was in danger. It wasn't even possible to see the pitch from the terraces. At 7.25, the game was called off and postponed for 24 hours. Ray criticises the Bulgarians for not making a game of it when they did play. After going 1-0 down, it seemed that they were happy to play for the defeat, eventually losing 2-0. On Hoddle's performance, Wilkins says... I just hope people don't unfairly expect such a fine performance from him the next time. And every time. Glenn oozed class and showed no nerves. Now, England topped the qualifying group with both Northern Ireland and the Republic of Ireland in the same group. But yeah, just that um, idea that they've been thrown out of their tail, it's fully booked and, uh, you know, it would be interesting to know. They must have booked into another hotel for that night, surely. Great, isn't it? Yeah. Great, I've got 22 England players just wandering about London. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay, really? so, so moving on to page 18, and there's an advert for football annuals, and a full-page black and white advert for football annuals with the title, Go for the Hat Trick. Now, this is in reference to the three annuals on sale here. And there's the Shoot Annual from 1980, the Soccer Monthly Annual from 1980, and the Shoot Soccer Quiz Book from 1980 as well. The first two are £1.50 and the last one is £1.60. And the book front covers are displayed along with the happy, smiling face of a young boy. And who wouldn't be happy at the prospect of waking, waking up on Christmas morning with one or more of these annuals under the tree waiting for you? Well, that's just about the only time I would get the shoot, most of the time. I'd buy the shoot when it had the league ladders at the start of the season. And most of the other time, I'd maybe get one an annual for Christmas or something. I don't, don't, don't know why the soccer quiz book's 10 pence dearer. It's, it seems a bit strange right enough. Um, aye, I'd get that and I'd get, what else would I get? Well, it'd be Urwilly or the Bruins, mm-hmm. year about, and uh, like a Royal Rovers or something, you know? Yeah. They, they, they were they, they were always the you know they they were always on the 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 under the tree at Christmas and you know it was one of the highlights as you say the Bruins or or Wally as well and it was it was you know if if that wasn't there then you'd be disappointed I mean not that we had much else anyway but you know I think I think those things considering how football I was about to say how soccer daft we were but how football yeah. daft we were then, you know, that would have been a, a right disappointment. Probably my dad would have been happy to read them as well anyway. Okay, moving on to page 21. And it's... We're, we're skipping over the advert for watches. Go for it. Two uh, quartz uh, digital watches there. Uh, one at 7 and another fancier one at 12 did we have digital watches, Alan, Simon? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, still do. I can't tell the time because of digital. Because <laughs> because of the digital watch. I'll figure it out and go small. Honestly, because of digital watches. So yeah, my hands up to that one. It's 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 not they're not cheap, are they? Mm. Considering this magazine was twenty pence, and we're looking yeah. at seven ninety five and twelve ninety five. I mean, they're not cheap at all. 
Yeah, that's what I'm trying to work out, and I can't really get my head around how much that is at that point, if you know what I mean. Hmm. Uh, We're talking about what for the for the seven ninety five. That'd be like four years worth of the magazine, three four years worth, you know, subscriptions. Yeah. So, I remember my my, my experience with watches was, um, I remember finding a when I was a wee boy, I found a watch somewhere. On, it must have been somewhere in Drumchapel because we never went anywhere else. And um, these were the days where you would hand it into the police. So I got handed into the police, went into the police station, you know, you, you leave your details and stuff. And after three months or something that's no claimed, then you, you can go and claim it. And I remember going up to Pitt Street with my dad to, to get this watch, you know, going all the way up to the town. It was a big day for me. It was like, oh yeah, I'm getting this watch. I don't think, I don't think it was a, it might have been a digital watch. I'm not even sure. But it's, it's like, does that even happen nowadays where p- people claim watches that it's not been found? I think it all goes to the auction, doesn't it? The police auctions now. Yeah, I don't know. But and did you get it? Was it not aye? claimed and you got it? No, no, yeah, yeah, it, was, it hadn't been claimed. But then again, you know, it's probably whoever had it just thought, oh, I'll get another one or something. But uh, it was uh, brilliant. I, got, I was so excited. It was, um, yeah, stuck with me. Well, well done in your honesty there for handing that in as well. Yeah. I need to say that. Well, yeah. Did you run out the cars though, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I found this beside a burnt out car. <laughs> uh, I'm claiming, claiming you, um, you sweated for three months, hoping that nobody <laughs> would, nobody would come in and collect. Three months to get your watch. <laughs> yeah, thank, thanks for them. It was, it was quite an emotional time for me. Thanks for laughing. <laughs> uh, moving on to the tartan talk with Danny McGrain, and it's Scotland run out of excuses. No, no, listen, we've plenty of excuses after that. We've. Don't worry about that, Danny. So it says, Hysteria on the terraces, usually the trademark of Scotland's tartan army, was there in abundance when England put the polish on their European Championship finals with a fine win over Bulgaria at Wembley. Now, Danny comments on the England fans celebrating their success, saying, The cameras filmed the unfamiliar sight of England supporters getting emotional over their team. He does say, quite right too, for Ron Greenwood has done a super job and his team have a great chance of winning the competition in Rome next summer. Danny then turns his attention to Scotland. It's taken only a year and a half for it to all turn full circle. Before the World Cup finals in Argentina last summer, Scotland were in the crest of a wave where England were down and all but out. Now it's so different and Scotland has used up all the excuses. Jock Steen is a real job on his hand. Uh, Danny suggests that we just can't drop players without having replacements, mentioning Davy Proven, Roy Aitken and Bobby Russell's players who could come in. And he thinks Scotland can get back to being as good as England in a few years, but thinks the fans don't have the pa- the patience that's needed for that. Uh, he suggests that Scotland will have to change the way they play t- the game to a more possession-based game, and more importantly, the fans will have to be educated on the merits of this and learn to accept it. And he heaps praise on Celtic players that have made it to the Scotland under-21 side, including John Halpin, Charlie Nicholas, Willem McStay and Mark Reid, all being mentioned. And lastly, he wishes well and luck to Davy Hay, as previously mentioned, the magazine has joined Motherwell as assistant manager. You must have a story or two about Danny McGrain, Simon. Yeah, I mean, Danny McGrain, I'd love to hear Danny actually reading that first paragraph. <laughs> 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 it could have been any worse. I, I just think maybe he, he might have had a ghostwriter for this article. <laughs> but the signature, I can definitely say, is authentic. Mm. But I love the picture that goes with it. I mean, the that's Davy Proven, I have to say, was my favourite player of all time. Mm. Of all time. And I, I, he was he was the best winger Celtic had. He was for me, he was he was kind of my Jimmy Johnson. 
um, and he had a tragic sort of end to his career as well. You know, he was supposed mm-hmm. to go to 1982 World Cup. He'd have been Scotland's winger. I think he'd have been he'd have been the difference. And he got me. Yeah. And he, he, he I remember getting exhausted and getting subbed. It was it was it was Celtics. Now, you remember the 1985 Scottish Cup final? He was a dead ball expert. You know, he oh, like a amazing. Oh, yeah, Jack from free kicks. Um, and I remember writing to him, and he wrote back two years later. He'd been coaching the Celtic Park for a bit, and then had gone into. He just started with the media stuff, and I got a lovely letter back from loads of signed pictures and everything as well, just talking about his career. Really, really nice. And you could, you could, the sadness in every single line he wrote was something else. He was, he was, he was a wonderful, wonderful player. So this was his debut that he's talking about, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. So he came on Belgium game. Yeah, and Roy Aitken that got his full debut, and um, David came on as a sub. Yeah, listen, I, I'm a, I'm on record as well. I'm a big fan of David Proven um, as a commentator. I, I know a lot of people don't like him, and a lot of people give him stick, but I think he's really clued up. He's, I think he's entertaining. I think he knows the game. He talks well about it. So I'm, I'm a big fan of David Proven. Yeah, he's, he's, he's kind of one of my, one of my all-time heroes, and I hadn't met him until um, when I was training with with uh, Joe Miller's Clyde at the, the before the Celtic game and suddenly Sky Sports came and he appeared beside us in the training pitch and said well you know you, you, you talk us to the players and I took David Proven round jogging with the players mm. while we uh, well kind of explained to everyone was and what clubs had come from before the, before he did all the interviews it was great man he was absolutely lovely yeah. but yeah what a link to the game he was what a player yeah okay let's just move on The go- there's an advert for Gola and the main picture is of Phil Neal crouching down, chatting to three young kids, all in Gola gear, with a Gola ball in Phil's hands. In the back, in the foreground is a large red Gola bag. There are two different pairs of football boots for sale and a pair of trainers. The boots come in nylon screwing studs and plastic moulded studs. There is also what they call, and I love this, a sporty bag. It says, "Look at." <coughs> Look after your kit and keep your school boots tidy too in a stylish black or blue Gola Sporty bag. The one that is displayed in the advert is a light blue one. It's surrounded by a Gola football, Gola gloves, shin guards and what looks like a packet of studs and a couple of cans of spray or boot polish. I don't think it would be spray. Um, As part of the advert, they have included some tackling tips from Phil Neal. There's a lot going on in that advert. Yeah. yeah, there certainly is. I the tackling <laughs> tips. I couldn't even. I couldn't even follow it. I was <laughs> confused. Tackle He's tips. standing foot close to, but slightly behind the ball. Never stretch into a tackle unless you have to. I mean, even that first bit. So much can win, you know. Well, I've I, I played sevens with with Alan before, so. <laughs> I understand exactly where you're coming from with us. We've, we've tackled- you, you, you've seen me being confused before on a Thursday night. <laughs> <laughs> mm. You're stand, you're full uh, you're full weight behind your tackling foots. That's where we went wrong. Oh, we went if wrong. only I'd seen that years ago. <laughs> full weight behind your tackling arm. Yeah. Right, I've got to bend my knees. If top players must get down to a tackling position, so that's that's for you. I don't need to bother yeah. about that one. You know, this is rugby we're talking about. For tackling legs and feet, this is great. I wish I'd read this at the time. It would have made all the difference, wouldn't it? It would have just. Oh, it's, it's, I've, I've just zoomed in and it's free spray and heat spray that's in oh. with the, the Gola bag, which I, I didn't really think was around then, yeah. yeah. With the magic sponge. Mm, there we go. Okay, what we're going to do is jump out the magazine for a little minute or two. 
Um, we're going to do Focus On Alan Fraser. We should have a wee theme sort of tune yeah. for the Focus On bit, yeah. do you not think? Maybe the theme from Bod. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it has to just not be... No, that would be quite good, eh? But it has yeah, to be... Yeah, I go away and I come, I come yeah. walking towards you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we could, we could do the Alfred Hitchcock one and just get you to walk across the screen as it's played and then just sit mm. down. Okay. Yeah. Right. <laughs> But anyway, let's let's go to focus on. So as you know, standing sideways now after this uh, lockdown. Yeah. <laughs> so as you know, the the shoot magazines and the match magazines have the player profiles and the focus on. So we're, we're going to turn it on yourself. I'm just going to fire some questions at you and just give me your answers. So start off. Full name: Alan Ross Cairns Fraser. What's your birthplace? Wait a minute. Uh, Partick. What's your first car? I've never really bought a car. My wife buys cars or does deals with that sort of thing. I've never had any interest in cars, so your first bike then? The first bike? God, I never really had a bike either. So so when when your wife buys a car, do you not consider that as your car as well? Well, I that's what I mean, but that's her department, that's okay. what I mean. You know, she could drive before I could drive, so she sort of like she goes to the guy and goes, Right, we're gonna get a car. What have I got just now? Um Listen, I'm, I'm I'm more than happy to leave it. A wee blue one. That's right, what a wee blue one. I've got no interest in cars, so I've yeah. never sort of like, it's never been a thing, you know. Okay, we'll move on. Favourite player of all time? Well, that is really difficult because I'm quite old, so there's been several eras, you know. I'm old enough to have been at the League Cup final and this will be Celtic 4-1. Uh, so from those days, my favourite player is Dennis McQuaid, for instance, you know. Mm-hmm. And then later on, watching Thistle, guys like uh, Kenny Watson, who held us together through the entire 80s. So Alan Hansen played for Thistle. He was fantastic. Unfortunately, not for long enough. Mm-hmm. Guys like Mo Johnson. Uh, Chick Charlie, very entertaining. Alan Ruff, Mr. Reliable. But I think bringing it up to date, I'm, just, I'm going to have to go for Chris Dillon for the last... 10 seasons and or so and over 100 goals and just being a really good guy and doing these um these uh jazzcast um zoom meetings and uh, zoom um interviews the all the guys have been great but the, the most recent one was chris doolan and he talked to us for ages and ages and we ended up putting it over three parts and mm. uh i am going to go for chris doolan okay good stuff favorite team is it even worth asking <laughs> Oh, I really like Celtic. <laughs> uh, no, I'm Patrick Thistle supporter, of course. Okay. This could be an easy one. Most memorable match? Well, I can hardly remember it. <laughs> can your most memorable match be one that you can hardly remember? You know what I mean? The biggest match, obviously, was um, the 71 Cup final. But in more recent years, like uh, beating Hearts 4-2, at Time Castle to you know be staying up in the Premier. Um, nah, I've got no. Nah, of course, I've got to go with seventy-one cup final. Okay, especially since I scored the fourth goal. You know, <laughs> we'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. I think. Uh, what's <laughs> been your biggest thrill? So it doesn't have to be football, but in your life, what's been your biggest thrill? Difficult one, isn't it? Because could you say, say things like "Oh, the birth of your children," but that's not a thrilling moment. That's quite a. It's a less than thrilling it's quite, it's quite worrying um oh god well I'll just i'll i'll go for a really glib answer and just say for how for thrills okay what's been your biggest disappointment 
same answer. Okay, what's the best country that you've visited? Uh, well, I've never been out of Europe because we've got a shop and we've had a shop for 30 years and you don't get much of a break. So you can maybe get away for two weeks, maybe 10 days, but sometimes you're only going away for a week. So we always head off to Spain, you know, mm. so we're going to have to go for Spain. It's a place I've been the most on holiday and I've been in lots of different places in Spain and I really like it. So I go for Spain. Okay. Um, maybe related, maybe not. Favourite food? I, it kind of is because I like that sort of relaxed sort of tapas eating, but mostly it'd be like seafood tapas, I suppose. It'd be like, uh, you know, prawns and a little fried fish and stuff like that with some, some nice cold white wine. That's 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 your summer um, favourite food, but I suppose your winter favourite food is like, I don't know, like a leg of lamb and some dauphin mashed potatoes or something like that. Yeah. I could talk about food all night, though. <laughs> okay, don't, because I've not had my tea yet, so um, we'll move <laughs> on. M- miscellaneous likes, so give me three things that you like doing. Well, what I'm missing at the moment is uh, playing football, cause I still play football on, well, have been Tuesday and Thursday nights, twice a week, playing seven asides. The game that Simon's talking about, the Thursday night game, that's still going on. Excellent. Uh, um... And the Tuesday night game is with another bunch of guys that are all Thistle supporters. Have you heard of the the football fans in training thing? Fit? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so get involved with them, and we've played eleven aside games, but um, but we play seven asides on a Tuesday night, and that's been going on for a while. Uh, the eleven aside games are good as well. It's, it's, it's not in a league, but it's occasional kind of games against like sort of challenge matches against other clubs that are doing the same sort of scheme. Yeah. But it's really good because well, you think you're playing for Thistle, you know what I mean? You think you're playing against Rangers. You think you're playing against Celtic. They think they're Celtic and they think they're Rangers and the games are just uh, a real good edge about them, you know? Yeah, no, so listen. Three things. I know exactly what you mean. Because uh-huh. when, when we played for Clyde Bank in the juniors tournament a couple of days, I, I call them caps. I call them Clyde Bank caps. What about another couple of things? Uh, uh, miscellaneous likes. I, I don't know. I mean, what do I like doing? I like walking at the beach. I like getting to the seaside. Uh, like kicking a ball, as I said, and just getting away and getting a holiday and stuff like that, which has not been happening recently, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, okay. getting a break, getting some sunshine. Good stuff. Okay, next one, miscellaneous dislikes. So give me a couple of things that you hate, that can't stand. Littering. I hate oh. people who litter. I hate yeah, the state. I hate, I hate Christmas trees being out the street on bloody Boxing Day. You take all that time, you go and get a lovely tree, you put it up, you decorate it, show the kids, that ah, looks great. The next day you can't be arsed, where do you put it? You just dump it in the street instead of taking it to the recycling and it drives me nuts every year. I've become a bit, bit um, curmudgeonly and famous for being on Facebook and Twitter moaning about it. People <laughs> just take the piss out of me now and I mm. think uh, sending me pictures of bloody <laughs> Christmas trees and stuff terrible, like that, you know. But, but why do people do that? Can, can, can I ask, do they do it that quickly on Boxing Day? 
Sometimes, aye, aye. But surely, but it's, the surely other, it's the other ones you see as well. But surely, if it's like, Boxing Day, that that, that suggests that suddenly there's one. You go, what the fuck are you doing with that one? Where was that one before? You know, Glasgow boys. This is what happens. Aye. Boxing Day, whoosh, gone. Aye, that's it. But I was going, I was going, I was going to say, surely, if it's Boxing Day, that suggests a wee bit of a tiff has taken place. I was, you know, on, on Christmas Day. Yeah. I've never seen that. But then again, I I, I have a Christmas tree. I'm, I'm I'm not I've got a bit better, you know, with me living my own and stuff, it's 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 not the same. But I've got a bit better the last couple of years putting the tree up and um, <laughs> I'll tell you a story about this one. So generally I put it up, bring it down a couple of a week or so after Christmas, but this year I've I've put it. I've put it in a bag. Not. I've not taken it apart. This. Is, this is like a, a plastic, plastic one. It's still got the lights on. It's still got the tinsel on. It's still got all the baubles on. I've just put a big poly bag over it and put it down in the cellar so that next year I can just, just lift that off out. and bang. Because <laughs> I can't be bothered with the whole setup stuff. I quite like it when it's done, but I can't be bothered with the setup stuff. So I've. I've. I've made a shortcut that I think. Most more people should probably do if they if they've got the space. There we well, go. I'm quite happy with that. That's much better than to tough it out in the street. Yeah. Okay, uh, moving on. Favorite TV show? Oh, should have had a think about this, shouldn't I? Uh, lots of comedy shows like well, American ones like Seinfeld or whatever. British ones going back the way to I don't know Porridge and Reginald Pern and I don't know. Um, one Foot in the Grave, got lots, I suppose, lots of comedy shows, but good ones. Mm, yeah. Favourite singer? Oh, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. Favourite singer? So give, uh, us, give us two. A big David Bowie fan. Not big enough fan to actually say his second name properly, but I can't do it now. It's been too long. Uh, didn't realise how upset it would be the day he died. Mm-hmm. That morning I woke up and I was just like in bits. And I thought, oh, where did that come from? I didn't realise yeah. I liked him that much. But uh, uh, yeah, total, total, total fan. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oh. With you on that, with you on that. And I agree with you as well also about when he did die, it was just, it hits you and you think, well, as you say, I wasn't expecting that, but it was really emotional mm-hmm. and really sad. Yeah. Uh, favorite actors, so maybe two, two actors. Two. Yeah. Well, if it's two, it's, uh, it's got to be Stan Laurel and Oliver Hardy then. Yeah, okay, all right, just one then. Stan Laurel. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, who's your best friend? Hey, we're going to do the day I need to see my wife thing. If it's your well, wife, it's been, then say. I can tell you what, it's been tested over this last year. <laughs> <laughs> Spending this much time together. Yeah. Now, my best pal from my childhood is my pal Xander, who uh, he was my best man and I was best man at his wedding. I mean, do you know what? My wife is my best pal because, I mean, you know, we're... we're we hang, we're hanging about all the time now, and it's not too bad. We haven't killed each other yet, so mm. yeah, I'll go for that. Yeah, I'm absolutely fine with that. Who's been your biggest influence? Uh, well, this is usually aimed at footballers, this sort of thing, yeah. isn't it? So, I mean, who has influenced me and what I've done, which is not much? <laughs> so I don't really know how to answer that. I, I, um, well, again, we worked together. My wife and myself worked together. We've had the shop for ages, mm. I guess. Professionally, it's Alison, his you know, my wife who runs the shop. Mm. Uh, 
influence in life? I don't know. That's too difficult a question. Okay, no, that's fine. Last question: Which person in the world would you most like to meet? Yeah, see, that's a difficult one as well, because you know that if you met somebody like who you really worshipped or whatever, like Billy Connolly or something like that, you'd meet an arse of it, wouldn't you? You know what I mean? Um, so I'll go back and go for somebody that I couldn't actually. Groucho Marx, I'll go for Groucho Marx. I think it'd be really entertaining. It'd be like the ideal dinner party sort of thing, Groucho Marx and a few other people with like um, real wits and stuff like that. That'd mm. be but Groucho Marx, I'll go for him. Excellent. Good answers. Thank you. That's the end of the Focus On. Any questions, Tom? Uh, yeah, well, let's just uh, hear about your recreation of the 1971 Scottish League Cup final. It's very popular, right? <laughs> yeah. Tell us what it was, how it came about. Well, it was um, the National Theatre of Scotland approached... Um, well, it was the guys that we played football with on Tuesday night, the football fans in training. I don't know how it came about, actually, but um, they'd, they'd done a recreation of a Dunfermline game, a European game, which I can't remember, but you'll find it if you have a search for it. Involving kids, um, some great European night for Dunfermline. I think they won like six two against some team or other. Anyway, the idea was to recreate the um, the League Cup final. Well, well the first half anyway, the, the, the four goals. Um, so we practiced this for a few weeks. I got to be Jimmy Bone. I got to be the, the last goal scorer. But um, unfortunately, my pal Davy um, was Ali Gray, who was supposed to score the first goal. So we recreated this, and you know it's it's not exactly excellently choreographed or anything like that, but it's decent enough. You know, you you, you take the ball down there, that's where the ball came over. It's a bit at walking pace, you know. But unfortunately, Davy missed <laughs> first goal. <laughs> it went by the post, uh, and the guy I forgot his name, but again, you'll find it um, doing the commentary. Went well. That was supposed to be a goal. It's a goal, <laughs> and, and, and Davy turned around like that. And went, what did I do? And I just said, I just went, right, let's just start celebrating as if it was a goal. So we carried <laughs> on and we got away with that. But the worst thing was, I mean, it's gone really, it's gone down really badly amongst a lot of Thistle fans. Well, all embarrassed and all that sort of stuff. So, sorry, where, where did you, you done it at Fur Hill? Oh, sorry, we done it at, well, just what I was going on to be. Was it Fur Hill at halftime in a game? <laughs> but the unfortunate thing was, we were five nothing down at half, at half time from Aberdeen, <laughs> yeah. which is why the reception for it is less than. Uh, I mean, I, I keep going back to it thinking, see if we were winning two two nothing at half time, would people have just went, oh, that was quite a good bit of fun? No, we, we were part of the problem. We were part of the problem that season. We're part of the problem of where we are now with some of <laughs> fans, some of the Bami ones, if you follow them and you know. Facebook or you know um, discussion groups and all the rest of it. Um, so it went down reasonably well among some folk, but uh, other people are like, it's the cringiest thing I've ever seen in my life. It's a good laugh. If it does, it, there's film of it out there. You can find it on YouTube under the uh, National Theatre of Scotland. Uh, if you make a search for it, it's out there. You, you quite, you've seen it, Andy. You, you thought Aye. it was a good laugh. No, I, 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 I like it a lot. And, um... But you know, I can I can get that some fans won't enjoy it because that, that's just the nature of things, isn't it? But um, yeah. yeah, it was it was a bit of good fun. It was it, it didn't seem as if 
people were taking themselves too seriously about it. You looked as though you were enjoying it, and that was the whole point of it. It was just together. it was the whole point. It was part of a festival as well. It was to do. It was um, at the canal up there as well. So it was being shown um, as part of that festival. It was um, some I can't remember what it's called again. Something like submarine time machine or something like that. I can't remember. But there was, there was a weekend. There was loads of uh, theatre events and stuff like that. On it was a, it was an arts project. That was the thing. But of course, the people were thinking, "Oh, this is the halftime entertainment." But we just <laughs> happened to be filming it during the game. But I mean, we were in the tunnel waiting to go out, and we're going, "Jesus, we <laughs> this is absolutely murder!" And just just as we're about to go out, we're right. It's not long now, right? Are you ready? Are you ready? I. And they just hear this roar because the, the Aberdeen fans were in the old main stands above us. And we were looking at each other going, oh, fuck's sake, it's fucking fine. <laughs> <laughs> this is really, I've been looking forward to this for weeks, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? And then it's just like coming out like that. Oh no, <laughs> you know. So, so and, that, you know what? It was good fun. I really enjoyed it. So it's his 50th anniversary this year, is that right? A 50th anniversary of League Cup final win and 100th of our Scottish Cup final mm, win. Yeah, twi- twi- yeah, so is the club doing anything special for that? Is there any plans that you're aware of? Well, I'd imagine there would have been all sorts of plans, but right now this one get any games at all because mm. football is suspended as, as at time of uh, at time of recording. So I don't know. I mean, I don't know how it's going to pan out this 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 year. You know, um, I'm sure they've got all sorts of plans, yeah. but. Whether they're up in the air or not, I don't know. You know, um, I think I guess they'll probably have the the old strip from the nineteen twenty one, which was a sort of dark blue jersey um, mm. when we beat Rangers one day. I think it was at Park. I was at Park. Um, and the, well, it's not well. The the League Cup final um, anniversary is not till October, so we'll see. We'll see. Right. So you think I managed to do something? So, so that would have been 71, 72 season rather than. Yes, uh-huh. it was the League Cup was over pretty early. Uh-huh. You have the sections at the beginning, and then so it was October the twenty third. So the first cup final was early in the season. You say that you say the League Cup was over pretty early. It was forty five minutes, wasn't it? <laughs> pretty much so. Yeah. Pretty much so. It's just a pity there's not more footage of it because I've heard. I've heard in fact, even in this magazine, you hear Alan Ruff talking about mm. it, and he's talking about or or you know the saves he made in the second half and stuff like that. But it's just it's, there's no footage of the whole game left. It's only you know um, we've only really seen the STV highlights, which yeah. is pretty short, really. You know, Simon. That- f- 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 sorry, Tom. From a Celtic fan's point of view, what's the general feeling of people who are aware of that final? A freak result. This is a freak result. But it was. The first half, I said it were done and dusted. They were the best team in, one of the best teams in Europe at the time and completely done over. But it's one of these things, that it just happens when a team's on their own form. And Ruff had a brilliant game as well. So you just got handed to him. That was a pumping and well-deserved, you know. And, and um, just going back a wee bit, we, I had a shop. The reason me and Alan know each other is I had a shop opposite um, where Alan's first shop was. Uh, was it your first shop? It was our second. We started in Virginia Galleries. Virginia Galleries. And then yeah. we were down Northern Lane. So we were both yeah. down Northern Lane. And one of the first weeks I was there, I think I put the the, the 71 jersey in the window. But I, I got them made from Toffs. So we'd try and mm. get famous classic, you know, uh, there was the great Patrick Thistle 60s big hoop jersey as well. We mm-hmm. had 
the, with the great badge. Uh, but I put the 71 in, and the amount of people that come in and bought the 71 jersey was amazing, just, just because it is, it's, like, it's one of those iconic moments. Because, as you said, it's mostly photographs you see now. It's mostly mm-hmm. the colour photographs of the cup and Jimmy Bone and uh, Alan Ruff. And it's that jersey, just that, 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 that winner's jersey was a, was, a, was a big seller for us. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it's, it was, again, again, it's before my time. But it was a, it was a, a shocker. You say there's a shock. You've called it a freak result. It's a shock result, but it wasn't a freak result because that was a good Thistle team. It really yeah. was. They, they stormed the second division and come up. You know, there's Alan Ruff, John Hansen, Alex Forsyth, Ronnie Glavin, Jackie Campbell, Hugh Strachan. I mean, you know, five of them went played for Scotland. Alan Ruff played for Scotland. Glavin played for Scotland. John Hansen got a cap. Jimmy Bone, obviously, later on. Um, the two wingers, McQuaid and Laurie and Frank Coulson. It was a really good side and, and they had a good season that season as well. They, I think they finished seventh or something in the old in the old first division, you know. Um and I, I, I've got that script still because I got to keep that one from that day. So I've got that one. It's a belt, isn't it? Yeah, no, I, my dad played against Jimmy Bone. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was the hardest guy he ever played against. Played him in the combined reserve league when he was at Glasgow Uni. So they would play in this 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 the proper reserve league, you know. They come up against Jimmy Bowen. Jimmy Bowen was the hardest man he ever he ever come up against. So and that was that was quite late on in his career. So he was, he was a tough boy. Quite recently on Twitter, I saw a photograph of Jimmy Bowen with Ella Fitzgerald, which was quite an unusual thing. Apparently, <laughs> he played for in uh, Canada for right. I can't remember who it was, Vancouver, right. Right. something like that. There was this picture of Jimmy Bowen with Ella Fitzgerald and just looked kind of really out of place. I thought, how did they know each other, you know? Brilliant. He was in, um, he was touring in Australia. I think Bob Marley bumped into Dixie Deans and said, you're Dixie Deans of the Celtic, and then named the whole 1967 team. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Yeah, so there's this weird incongruous picture of Dixie Deans with a spiral perm and attached. Stand with Bob Marley. We'll find that picture and that'll be that'll be on the, the, on the website soon as well. <laughs> I'll have a look for that. Tom, were you going to ask a question? No, I, no, I was just going to say, I remember asking uh, my dad what he thought at halftime uh, that game because my dad was a Celtic supporter when it was 4-0 Celtic and he said, I thought we were going to win 5-4 because <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, it wasn't yeah. inconceivable that Celtic would have went out and put five past somebody yeah. at that time. But yeah, no, he said, no, I wasn't that bothered at halftime because I, I thought we would have beaten 5-4, but obviously get one goal back, but that was it. Well, you've got to remember... Ronnie Glavin had kicked Jimmy Johnson off the pitch by that time. And they right. only one sub in those days, and it yeah. was Jim Craig. And Jim Craig was a good, big, solid fullback, but it wasn't Jimmy Johnson, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, a lot of Celtic fans from that time do cite that and go, hey, you know, well done on your game and all the rest of it, but Jimmy's going to get kicked off the park, you know? I mean, it wasn't only Celtic's only sort of shock League Cup defeat run about that. Time. That's true. They lost quite a few around them at that time. Yeah, Dundee. Obviously, Dundee beat them, and did Kilmarnock beat them as well around that time? Possibly, but they didn't. I kind of bogey, the bogey cup for us, like, even right through the eighties and nineties. League Cup was never one that was particularly lucky. I would say some has continued this year. Got that Bob Marley picture. I was saying that to you now. It was, um, was it Melbourne? He was down at. Was it Melbourne? Uh, Dixie Deans. I've I've got a couple of photographs of him down in Australia. Okay, before, before we jump back into the magazine, we're just going to talk about our charity partner, which is the West Dumbartonshire Community Food Share. And this is a charitable organisation that provides various services and support to the local community, including the following. 
a school uniform bank, school holiday brunch bags, food provisions, Christmas toy bank, cooking and growing lessons and a baby bank. They provide essential support to the local community and supporting individuals and families and we will be looking to support them any way we can through the podcast. This will include drives for donations of food, money and support in the form of volunteers but we will also be raising awareness of the group to highlight the work that they do and also ensure that families and individuals who can benefit from the group are aware of these vital services. You can follow them on Western Bartonshire Community Food Share Group on Facebook or westernbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk for the website and that's surely one of the longest websites I've ever known in my life. That's all one word by the way, westernbartonshirecommunityfoodshare.co.uk but you can also donate through our Just Giving page for the charity at justgiving.com slash fundraising slash shoot the breeze, one word. And also keep an eye on our Twitter accounts, shoot TB underscore podcast and at Scott's Footy Cards for updates and news on our charity partner. So let's jump back into the magazine, shall we? And we will start with pages 28 and 29. So this is Worldwide, compiled by Chris Davies. So it's like the previous one, Little Stories, but it's it's based on uh, Around the World. So one of the ones I'll pick out is Hello, Goodbye is the title. And this is about Clodaldo, one of Brazil's star players in the 1970 World Cup, and he could easily claim an entry in the Guinness Book of Records. After 14 years of service with Santos, he told the directors to release him or he would retire, which they did. He arrived at his new club he was about to sign for, Coritiba of Parana in Brazil, and was greeted by a massive group of supporters singing for their new idol. He took pictures wearing the club shirt and even agreed in the contract. The same afternoon, he was back in Santos saying, I was enthusiastically greeted by everyone there, but then I realised after all those years there is no other club for me apart from Santos. So I'm getting a sort of a Mo Johnson vibe to this thing. Yeah, but a spoiler, he, did, he didn't spend much more time at Santos as he moved to New York United and then Tampa Bay Rowdies in 1980, the following year, before finishing up at Nacional back in Brazil in 1981. So, I mean, that that's quite a quite a feat going down in the, the morning, getting your photographs taken, signing the contract and then ripping it up by the afternoon. That's some going. Well, here, here, well just a part didn't Frank McAvenny do more or less that, Alan? It, yeah, well, there was famously photographs of uh, John Lambie with Frank McAvenny. Frank McAvenny standing with a thistle scarf holding it there. But I think the giveaway was that he had a top on, but he was still wearing his trousers. And I think he was he was still in a bit of a hurry. He wasn't quite settled yet, you know. But, but aye, it's, it's a similar thing, you know. He's going to sign for us. And, and he went back to Celtic at that time. Yeah. I don't think he was that successful at that point. I can't really remember. I can't remember where he was coming from at that time, uh, where he... Whether he, was, he had an injury or he wasn't really playing, I don't know how he ended up sort of almost signing for this. I can't remember. Okay, so the next one I'm going to look at is Millionaires Are Bankrupt, is the title. And the Millionaires Are Bankrupt, the article says, that that was the news that shook Colombia on the same day that the famous club notched a great 6 0 win over Independiente Medellin. Uh, Milonarios became a legend in world football back in the 1950s when Colombia was a rebel outside the control of FIFA. They gathered together an exhibition team of highly paid foreign stars, including the great Alfredo Di Stefano, and took the world by storm, beating even the mighty Real Madrid 3-2 in Real's own Bernabeu Stadium. 
But despite mopping up 11 honours in Colombian competition, the Millonarios have been on the way ever since, and now the entire squad has been up for sale in a bid to clear the club's debts. So how do we look about this? The, the team took advantage of a player strike in Argentina to sign some of the best talent, including De Stefano. It was at this point that FIFA suspended them for recruiting international players without passports. They got through the potential bankruptcy back at this time, but were back in the mire in the 2010s where they were bought out by 4,000 strong fan group and continue on. Sounds very Harlem Globetrotter-like, doesn't it? But it's not something I was really aware of. Were they not millionaires? Were they not the drug cartel team? I think they were owned by a famous drug cartel, I'm sure, millionaires in the 80s. Mm. I, I'm not Str- sure about that, but it, it would make sense, really, wouldn't it? Let me have a look. Millionaires Chiefs, yes, two league crowns is a distinct possibility. The club were financially supported by drug cartels during both winning campaigns, 1987-1988. There we go. Gonzalo, the Mexican Rodriguez Gacha, was the society's largest sole shareholder while the drug trade boomed in the country. There we go. There's a wee aside for you. <laughs> Brilliant. So the next one we're going to look at is the heading is Ground Closed, and it says, In Spain, Hercules of Alicante had the ground closed after a linesman had been struck by a missile thrown from the crowd during the Hercules-Betis League game. The missile was a bottle filled with sand. There was a similar incident in a game between Alhama and Naval, where the referee was hit in the head by a bottle of wine as he left the field at half-time. The bottle broke in impact and all the officials were drenched by the contents. The bottle thrower was subsequently arrested and said in his defence, and that, see, this is a, a, I'm going to I'm going to tell this wee story first before I tell you what he said. But um, apparently, and with the police, they have to record what your first response is when they get arrested. I think that's right. So you, you want it to be something that's pretty good. And his was, I thought the referee might like a drink, <laughs> and it's just like, what a waste of an opportunity coming up with something a bit, you know, a bit wittier than that. So. But, you know, the first one, at least he drunk the wine and filled it up with sand before. Um, so I suppose kudos to him a little bit. News flashes is the next one. So there's a Norway transfer that's in the news here. It says, an amazing transfer has been completed in Norway. Fourth division side, Catherwood, sold a player to Stavanger for one pound of cheese, four pints of milk, four eggs, one small loaf and a pound of coffee. And it says, sounds a tasty deal. The, d- the days of those sort of um, transfer fees, um, well, they're probably still about, but I'd love to hear about them. Chilean FA rule changes. The next one here is the Chilean FA has announced drastic changes for next season. A team winning by four goals or more will receive a bonus point, while after a draw, neither team will win a single point. The most significant ruling is that any club drawing an average of less than 4,000 will be automatically relegated. So let's just look again what, what they're what they're suggesting. A team winning by four goals or more will receive a bonus point. If you draw, then neither team will get a single point. And if you have an average of less than 4,000 over the season, you get automatically relegated. So pros, yes, no's. What do we think about those rules? Obviously the 4,000 one isn't, you know, for, for the likes of Tom, and I don't know what, what sort of averages are you, are you getting at the moment, Alan, or last season when you were um, when we were still playing. I mean, it's well, you know, the last few years, 
have been pretty miserable to be official supporter. And um, last year, going down when you've got games to play, and mm. uh, I'm totally jibber on about that. But I mean, you know, it wasn't really particularly fair. Um, I think Scottish football should have sort of tried to sort out uh, an even way of making things easier for everybody rather than, uh, you know, you know, puni- punishment rele- relegations almost, you know. Mm. No, I, I absolutely agree with you. I, I, I thought for some reason it was it was rushed when it didn't have to be. Yeah. I, I, I don't uh-huh. know why it was rushed. There was time to get things sorted. Mm. There was time to have another look at it, but, you know. Yeah. But I suppose if, if we took this rule, less than 4,000 on average, then I guess most of Scottish football will be relegated into the, you know, into the junior leagues by now. Um, but I, what do we think? Winning by four or more goals, I don't think a bonus point. But drawing, don't get a single point, I guess. There's a little bit maybe merit in that. Just saying that, listen, unless you win, you don't get any points. Yeah. You know, it, it pushes teams to actually go for a winner. Yeah. Well, the bonus point is almost like the rugby now as well, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, but I'm I'm just I'm just wondering though about um, scoring a last minute equaliser. You know, um, that nullifies both teams. Means both teams are getting Mm, points. Yeah, because I wonder, you know, because it's like it's like the 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 thing that you know that there is a euphoria to those sort of situations that. You know, some some player, ex players, and all that will say, "Why why are they celebrating when they're only you know winning against or drawing?" And it's because if you've ever been a fan on the terraces, yeah, you you'll know why the celebration because that's mm-hmm. why you're there. And you know, to go from either drawing a game and thinking, "Oh, we're not going to win this," or to be down and thinking, "Now we're going to get beat." To, you know, to actually been in a situation where you're going to get something at the game, it's it's what the games you know know what it's all about, but it's part of what it's about. A point for a draw is extreme, is is valid. I mean, it really is. It's a valid thing. It's been, yeah. You know, you know, getting a point on a wet Tuesday night somewhere, you know, it's just as good as a win at home sometimes. You know. So basically, what we're saying is the Chilean FA have, can can go do one with the three suggestions there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm not yeah. pretty much. <laughs> Okay, the next one is it's actually about Jesper Olsen. It's just a little a little snippet. It says Anderlecht have signed seventeen year old Jesper Olsen of Nysved, Denmark, and even before he had kicked a ball for the Brussels club, he was called the new Alan Simonson. Um uh, so there we go. I, I like I always like to see just early, early little mm. bits of information yeah. about people that yeah. we know have went on and done something. But but looking up Jesper Olsen, he never played for Anderlecht. It was it was uh, Ajax that signed him. I see. Right. So, so he, did, he, did he get signed for them and never play, or did he just not get signed for them? I, I don't think he got signed for them. Mm. Uh, yeah, no. No, oh, well. he didn't. He, he signed from uh, from uh, Nesved and yeah. he signed uh, for Ajax from them. Uh, it's not. It's not like shoot to be. Well, mm. unless it was one of those ones that he agreed to go and then Ajax come in for him <laughs> and he decided to. Yeah. yeah, maybe they just got ahead of themselves with the, the report. Yeah. He, he, yeah. Was, he was down at Anderlecht in the morning and up at Ajax in the <laughs> afternoon, wasn't he? That's hey, John. Yeah. yeah. The next one, East German East German hooligans. In East Germany, football hooligans recently ran into a restaurant and stole food from customers' plates. Well, reports say that some shops were raided and washing powder stolen. 
<laughs> I took a few seconds that didn't I but yeah but I guess East Germany was you know I, I don't really know how poor it was back then but maybe it was just something that wasn't in good supply there I don't know but it's, it seems a wee bit strange to go and steal washing powder of it or anything page 30 the want to look at the football clothing clearance. I love ones like this. Um, so there's a large collection of Admiral kits that are available to buy, including some unusual teams. So ones that are mentioned, Indonesia away, Bahrain at home, Singapore away, which I'll show you a picture of next, and some classic Admiral kits, including Leeds United, Dundee, Coventry and Wales. So on the advert, there's, there's no, there's no uh, pictures. There's not even any drawings. It's just a description. But here's, here's the Singapore away kit. Which I absolutely love. It's very forfar, very like forfar from the period as well. It's Admiral, the uh, light blue, with the the black and white stripes. I think Man United did a very similar similar kit at this time as well, didn't they? It's a wee bit like half a Coventry strip as well, isn't it? Yeah. Except their their stripe went up and uh, moved off in a different direction, you know. Mm. So I want to know if any of our listeners have a Bahrain home shirt <laughs> or an Indonesia away kit. You can you can imagine. I bet they look absolutely brilliant. I bet they're all probably they are admirable ones. Yeah, I bet they're probably like a bright orange and things mm. like that, and just really really nice. I mean, look at the well, badge on it. Still available, Andy. I would I would I would definitely give them a shout and see if they're still <laughs> going because I can't even see them selling out. So moving on to page thirty one. So this is new lives for all stars, and it's about Ronnie Simpson. It says, Ronnie Simpson's playing days are well behind him now, but the former Scottish international goalkeeper is still among the elite in top soccer circles. The ex-Celtic star is on the pools panel and is called upon to give his judgments whenever games are postponed, along with the other experts, including Dennis Law. Simpson made his debut age 15 with Queen's Park in Mouth South to play for Newcastle United, where he enjoyed FA Cup success before returning north of the border with Hibs. It was said that he was about to move to Little Berwick Rangers the day that Celtic came calling and signed him for £1,000. He's doing well outside the game with his sports business as it, and is even the official supplier of the football kit to Celtic at the time of this magazine. That's interesting stuff there, isn't it? Yeah. Did you know that, Simon, that he supplied the kit? What was his company? Oh, it doesn't, it doesn't say. Um, no, it doesn't, does it? Yeah. I guess I need to look into that. I, th- I, think, I think, you know, I think it is the case that a lot of people sort of forget that he had a career before Celtic, you know, that he, he was down in Newcastle, won the FA Cup and things like that. He um, was the third back as well. Mm-hmm. The third line. Yeah. Okay, moving on, we've got pages 32 and 33 are the lineups, results and scorers, which I always love having a wee look at, but I'm just going to pick out a few and then if, if you want to pick out any, then please do so. So the first one I'm going to look at is... This is from Saturday the 10th of November and it's English 2nd Division and it's Orient 3, Chelsea 7. And the 3rd Division, we have a photo of Ronnie Glavin which will tug on Alan's heartstrings there to see him. Mm-hmm. Um, and Barnsley drew 2-2 with Exeter with two goals from Ronnie. So he scored two goals in that game, won a penalty. Uh, the next one, Scottish Premier, this will go down 3-2 I'm afraid, at home to Dundee. Well, St Mirren beat Rangers 2-1. And who scored for Bone and Sumner? So, Jimmy Bone and Dougie Sumner yeah. again. I mean, like Dougie Sumner was fantastic for Thistle, over 100 goals again. Mm. Um, his playing career with Thistle and only a not not that many seasons either, really. You know, yeah. 
Oh, it's sad to see him go. Um, you, you said this, this will get beat three two by um Dundee, but not according to the oh. shoot. It was to the shoot, it was Partick who get beat yeah. three, two, uh, Dundee, and that is one of my big bugbears. Is I mean, how, how much more difficult would it be to give us a T or a TH? You know what I mean? Because nobody calls us Partick. Well, nobody from nobody, no Thistle supporters call just call them Partick. Mm. You know what I mean? So it just it's never seems right. Always. It always kind of grates with me, you know. Yeah. Two nothing up at half time as well. I know. Well, I know. Around at the same time, and Bucky Thistle and things, they've probably just done it that way. And it'll be English guys putting these together, won't it? Yeah, but still to this day in the papers and the, the English papers, British papers, whatever, you know, it's still the same, you know. You, you don't get your full name, you know. It, it just it just jars, it doesn't seem right because it's not, you know what I mean? I mean, obviously, the D United. And Dundee, you know what? Yeah, yeah. But would you call Dundee United Dundee if Dundee didn't exist? If you know what I mean. Mm. I don't, I don't know, but you know what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> what I did notice uh, there is well, sorry, what I did notice the Forsyth that scored for Rangers is actually Alex Forsyth as well. So that's more right. Partick Thistle connections in there oh, as well. Aye. He ended up with Rangers, uh-huh. yeah. Went down to Manchester United first, uh huh. Yeah. Ended up playing with Hamilton mostly later on in his career. So let's take a, take a look in the Scottish First Division, and I've got Claybank one, Hearts one. Um, I'm not quite sure that that Sweeney was. That that be uh, Joe Sweeney. Joe Sweeney, right? Okay, so that was in front of two thousand fans. So we would have got relegated that season by by uh, Chilean standards, without a doubt, and most <laughs> other seasons. And so let's move on to the the highlight of the magazine. So pages 34 and 35, Club Spotlight on Partick Thistle, the men yeah. from Firth Rills, it says, Firth Rills. It's um, kind of messy, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Firth the headline, Rills. I mean. Hmm. No, I know the men mean. from Firth Rills, or Firth Rills. I don't know, it just does a scan, really, does it? Just kind of. Firth Rills. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's a, you're right, it's a bit messy. The, 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 the mean well, the mean well, yeah. So in this, there's, there's, it says there's an old soccer saying in Scotland that runs straight and true. It's for hell for thrills. Thistle are something like the condemned man who keeps getting an unexpected reprieve. Just when it looks as though they're down and out, they come bouncing back with an exhilarating string of displays and results and they live again. They provided entertainment, good humour and personalities in their lengthy history. Present-day international star Alan Ruff seems to encapsulate all the qualities a for hell character requires. Laurie McMenemy says he is a weak link of the Scottish side. Malcolm Allison says he cannot handle high crosses. Jimmy Hill says he has no confidence in a side that has rough and goals. Ruff admits, when I was first included in the Scottish international pool, one Anglo, obviously a bit of a joker, came up to me and asked, what is a Partick Thistle anyway? He says, I take it all in good fun. Um, so, Ruff talks about being interested in a move to England, but says that he's happy at Firhill. And they talk about the League Cup final win, as you say, where Celtic were 4 0 down at half time, and how Ruff pulled off important saves in the second half that shot down any hope of a comeback. And he says that was a great day for the club. We took a hammering in that second half, but there was no way we were going to allow Celtic back into the game. I remember the Celtic fans applauding us at the end of the match. That was a nice gesture. Um, so there's a team photo as well. So I'll let you talk through this team photo, shall I, Alan? And well, first of all, the strip. A lot yeah. of, that's classic uh, Thistle top, um, the Umbro one, uh, and good, good thick stripes in that one as well. You know what I mean? Um, 
yellow socks. I'm not sure if they wore the yellow socks all season or the red shorts even, but I, I like the look of that, you know. Mm. Uh, back row, Bobby Houston, now Kilmarnock. Now, Bobby Houston left us and played for Kilmarnock in the, the first game he was playing against Thistle again. For Kilmarnock, he had a nightmare. He was on the bench and the Thistle players coming off the coach, he went out to say hello to them and they decided to we're just going to ignore him and just play a bit of a trick on him. <laughs> one by one, I've heard Alan Ruff talk about this, one by one they just walked by him just as if he wasn't there. So I was thinking he was incensed, he was in a bad mood. And uh, so came on as a sub. Somebody said something to him to wind him up. He, he hadn't even kicked a ball and he went flying in on Brian Whitaker, I think it was. I sort of missed him and then he got up and somebody else said something, he swung a punch at somebody and he sent off straight away. So that was his uh, that was his first game for Kelly after leaving Thistle, playing mm. against us, you know. There's some guys there that I don't the, you know, some of the some of the the guys in the white shirts didn't really break in yeah. to the team as far as I can remember. Um it's a, it's a, it's a kind of squad a wee bit in transition. Andy Anderson's still there. Uh, one of your favourites, Andy. Mm-hmm, indeed, indeed. Um, uh, big Colin McAdams there. Colin McAdams is great. We always scored lots of goals. Dave McKinnon, good right back. Dave McKinnon, yeah. yeah. Uh, the guy, bottom right, has looks as if he's got a cauliflower on his head. <laughs> that is a shocker, that here. And I was quite intrigued by him, so I had a wee look and I found him and his name was David Greer. Greer. Yeah. Um, and this is this is from the Herald, January 1990. Former Partick Thistle footballer David Greer will next week take over the lead role in Andrew Lloyd Webber's hit West End musical <laughs> Aspects of Love. <laughs> he was recommended for the role by Prince Edward. <laughs> Prince Edward after the <laughs> Prince of Wales Theatre last year. Greer, 28, who played at left back and was capped three times for the Scottish youth team. Um, <laughs> There's a bit missing. Anyway, he has a light baritone voice and an actual singing voice. Uh, we've not come off cloud nine since we've found out. So, that's quite yeah, you know. And then they have a wee bit where they go back and they ask Bertie Old about him. So Bertie says, he was a very unassuming character and a marvellous singer, even then. <laughs> I don't know, even then. I don't really know what he means by that. I rated him very highly as a player. He loved the game, but I think his first love was always the stage. This is Bertie all talk, obviously, you know. We might not have had a lot of good players in those days, but we had a lot of marvellous singers. <laughs> I think he must have learned a lot from listening to me singing in the toilets. <laughs> <laughs> So, so there's there's uh, Bertie Old taking um, taking credit for David Greer's singing career. He's he's in Stirling. He's based in Stirling now, and he's uh, involved in a company called Stageworks, who do I don't know what they do exactly. He does singing lessons, one to one singing lessons at the moment. Stageworks seems to be a sort of like um, a kind of speed skill of some sort. I'm not very sure, you know. Don't know if any of you actually folk have ever came across him or knew anything about him, but I was just intrigued by the by that haircut. Yeah. And I thought I'd have a wee look for him, you know. Anyway, I had some other good players in there, Jamie Doyle, Brian Whitaker. So, who, so just before you go on, 
what you've just done there is what I love about doing this podcast because mm. something as simple as because we've not described what that haircut is like. Basically, his hair doubles the <laughs> the height of his head. You know, <laughs> from his face, his hair is higher. You know, it's it's more height in his hair than there is in his face. And based on that, you went off in this little voyage of discovery and found all this out. And this is what it happens to us all the time. You just uh-huh. there's just a little bit of information, and you think, oh, what's that? And it it takes you down and finds all this information. And that's what that's what I love doing about this. So I'm glad that you've done the same as well. Well, it, it, it was his, it was his hair that intrigued me, yeah. and I thought, who is this guy? And I tried to find him. And I couldn't really find him at first. And then when I did find him, there was much more information than I expected. You know. <laughs> um, Recommended by Prince Ed- Prince Edward was it? Prince Edward, I apparently <laughs> Prince Edward <laughs> recommended him. Mm, crazy. Yeah, I'm just looking him up now as well. He played Robin Hood uh, opposite Grant Stott as Little John <laughs> uh, in, 19, mm. in 1995 in uh, Robin Hood and Panto. Panto. <laughs> in the Wooden Panto, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah and, and, and it was Cannon and Ball with the stars. Oh, see, you can find it. You're right, Andy. I mean, it's interesting, isn't it? And plus. You know, you've got the internet now, you can find these things or not find them. You know, yeah. I mean, it's just you stumble across them and you find more information, you know, the deeper you go sometimes, you know. You know who we're going looking for now, don't you, Tom? David Greer. Definitely. I'll put that down oh, the yeah. list. Definitely. Yeah. Aye. Let's see if we can get him on. Well, it's okay. So talk us through the, the, the rest of it. I mean, there's a few things I want to, um, if you don't mind, I want to point out is the, yeah, let, let, let's look at Betty Olds, because I've mentioned this before about the tie and the the collar combination. So mm-hmm. it's purely accidental, but it almost looks the way. So it's a red and black tie, and he's got a white shirt on, but the the collar's got a thin white, a thin red stripe. But it almost makes it look as if it's the ties over the collar. Yeah, you know, if you look at it like that. Oh, I see what you mean. Right, okay. Now, this uh-huh. this then reminds me of the Panini sticker. So I'm wondering if this is from the same photo shoot because he's wearing exactly the same thing. Um, and I think Alan Ruff is also wearing that same... So this is... I can't remember which year this, this Panini one is from. But if we go back, Alan Ruff is wearing that same goalkeeper oh, yeah. strip. And I love things like that where you uh-huh. see photos and you don't, you don't instantly recognise them as being from... Well, one example I'll give is you have two team photos from the same season and you think, okay, I've got two different team photos, but when you actually think about it, one is straight on and one is from an angle. It's the same photo shoot, but it's not until you actually, it clicks that you realise that that's the case. You just think that's two completely different. And this is the sort of thing with me, but I just love how it looks as though he's, it's one of these sort of easy put on ties, you know, with maybe an elasticated thing around it that he put over and he's just forgot to put the collar over the top of it. I never noticed that before but it does look like that doesn't it and uh, it was a look that never really took off I don't think was it. <laughs> but yeah okay talk us through the rest of this. Well we'll, we'll, we'll still get I mean team in transition we'll still get Jackie Campbell there we've got George Mackey coming in oh we Donald Parks there mm-hmm. um, good wee player as well you know it's, it's, it's a decent team I mean we had a good team at that time. We lost two semi-finals, uh, cup semi-finals on the road. Just was it the season before that, and the season before that again. We lost four-two to Aberdeen in one, and 
1-0 uh, Rangers after a replay, but I mean, we were robbed in that game. Bobby Houston scored a header, which was flagged offside. And if you've ever met anybody you know, that talks about that game, we were absolutely robbed. Do you know what I mean? In fact, the interview that we did with Andy Anderson on the Zoomcast, the Jivecast Zoomcast, um, he, he talked about that. He also talked about Joe Harper in the, the 4-2 game. He tackled him about two feet outside the box and he dived for a penalty. And uh, he says, You even see a picture in the paper and you can see my legs outside. I mean, these guys still relive these games because they were denied a couple of cup finals, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's mm. a short career. Like Sandy Anderson only had 10 years, only played with Thistle, and that was it, you know. Mm. Um, who else is in here? We've got George Clark, who famously scored one of two goals at Ibrox alongside Maurice Johnson a couple of years later in a 2-0 win. And uh, I, I don't know, I just kind of came take my eyes off David Grieger's hair. <laughs> I just keep going back to that. What, what was Jim Mel, Melrose like at Thistle? Melrose, Melrose still turns up at Fair Hill. I've, I've been um, in hospitality a couple of times and he's he's up there on Saturdays. He was a, he was a really good player, mm. really good striker at that point. I mean, he played for Coventry, he played for Man City, he played for Celtic as well, perhaps not that successfully mm. at that time. Uh, who else is there? Ian Gibson's a good player. I mean, mm-hmm. that, that's a good squad. That's yeah. a good squad. Very yeah. um, Alter is really organised. We played, people always think it was a defensive team, but it was a kind of, it was like, it was like a 3 5 2 or a 5 3 2, which mm. is really popular these days, you know. It's always had two good fullbacks going forward, like some McKinnon and um, Whitaker there, and you play three in the middle, it'd be like Campbell and Anderson, and also maybe John Marr in there. But also, Colin McAdam started off as a, a centre back and then moved him up front. and he, he was a revelation. He wasn't that good at the back, actually, but he, when he became a centre forward, he scored lots and lots of goals. Transferred to, to Rangers, and it was the first of those um, transfer tribunals. And I can't remember how much we were looking for, and I can't remember how much Rangers were um, willing to pay, but uh, it kind of went somewhere in the middle, and I think Rangers got for about 170,000, but it scored scored loads of goals for us that season, and it was a bit of a steal. Mm. We thought it was a bit of a steal at the time, you know. Mm. No, I mean, that's a good team. That was a good team, and, and Betty all did so well with us. He was there from 74 to about 80 or something like that. He kept us in the Premier League. The Premier League at that time was only 10 teams, and he kept us in the Premier League Season after season, you know, and uh, I think I think the highest we were was fifth, I think, and um, eventually, eventually, we, you know, uh, he left to go to Hibs. Uh, Peter Cormack came in, and we ended up getting relegated that season, eighty eighty one, I think it was. But um, aye, that was a good team, and I enjoyed watching them at that time. I was. What was I? Seventy nine. I was seventeen, so I was going to games. I was going to away games as well. You know what I mean? It was mm. sort of time you could start doing that. You know. I'm just, and, I'm just thinking, that, Alan, that that middle row is well booked. Yeah, book oh, there we go. Lovely. The middle rows up. It's it's bookended by um, David Proven and Donny McKinnon. And Donny McKinnon. Uh-huh. I I don't know if the middle row just isn't that tall, but I know those two were really tall, so I think they sort of um, make them look a lot shorter. Because I think yes, those two... Well, I mean, that's quite odd. They do, they, that's, they do look disproportionately tall compared th- to the yeah. rest of that. Uh, I'm, pre- I'm, pre- I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure those two players were, you know, well over, you know, six three, six four upwards. 
Yeah, it's a great, yeah, it's a great photograph, and I'm thinking yeah. as well, Tom, that that white kit, change the badge. It's not far off the Clyde Bank one, is it? Bank kit, no. Yeah. Well, we didn't have the V neck at that time. Yeah. We had a collar, which was kind of similar to that, to that strip. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm just, just thinking that I, Alan, the plastic thistle away strip. But do you remember the one that, that said plastic thistle in big letters across the chest? Uh, I don't recall that. What, what was? What point was that? I, it was. I remember it being on uh, Scotsport. I remember. I remember Thistle. I need. I need to look for it now that I've said that. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it, it was a white away. But it said like as if it was a sponsor's logo. It said Partick Thistle in big letters. I'll need to do a, a search for. I, it. I only have a wheelie for that myself. I, I don't off the top of my head remember that. No. Mm. Yeah, it's not something I've seen. Okay, listen, um, we're getting on a bit here and I think that's a, as good a place as any, any to, to finish the podcast today. So regarding what, what's happening with yourself at the moment, Alan, and we spoke about you're on the Jags cast and the Radio Free Party. Is that is the Radio Free Party podcast still going on? Um, it's not been. It's, it, the last one we did was last March, right. just as the lockdown happened, because it's a sort of a, well, let's call it a cultural review. We'd go to pictures and stuff like that and mm. go and see things and talk about books and telly and blah 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 so it's on hold for now hopefully we'll get that back up it's on hold but we'll get it back up and going Uh, i think we'll be doing more of the zoom casts until we can get back doing this sort of regular jazz cast um regular jazz cast if you've ever heard it it's just four guys sitting in a pub drinking so i'm really looking forward to getting back to that yeah i've I've definitely heard that yeah that's about it at the moment, you know, because uh, everybody's life's on hold. So, you know, I'm no, we're no different, you know. And what about the shop? Is the shop still open just now? Or you had to close? Yeah, no, it's not open just now. We're selling, we're trying to do a wee bit online and stuff like that. Put some stuff on Instagram. Uh, Sorry, Alan, but what do you, what do you sell? What, what it's, it? it's a second-hand clothes shop. It's called Glorious, or variously, if you look for it, it's called Glorious Clothing, or it's called, you know, uh, it's a second-hand clothes shop, but we've had it for over 30 years. Uh, sorry, my wife's had it for over 30 years. I joined in a wee bit later on. Um, it, it's just been a tough time. I mean, it's been stop and start and stop and start, you know. So we'll try to sell a wee bit online if you so if anybody wants to search for us on there. We've got an AC shop set up. Uh, but it's all women's second hand clothes, do you know what I mean? So we're, we're selling mostly at the moment, you know, cashmere jumpers, vintage scarves, that sort of thing. Smaller items, uh, which is easy to sell, but um, but we're actually retiring this summer, and mm-hmm. that was the intention anyway. Uh, we we were five years into a lease, or it was going to be ten years, and we decided a couple of years ago that this would be the end of it. So that's mm-hmm. what was happening. So you know, it's, it, it, and it's a weird time because of well, it's a weird time for everybody. It was a weird time for us because that was our intention. And it's kind of fizzling out at the moment, and we don't even know if we'll get opened up again. But um, yeah, we're stopping in the summer and um, taking a break, you know, because that'll be 31 years. Alison opened the shop in Virginia Galleries, 1988. Superb. So, you know, that'll be 31 years. I think that's uh, quite long enough to be doing that, you know. So don't know what we'll do next. Don't know what, you know, it's not as if we can afford to retire, but um, yeah, that's what we're doing. That's the, that's the plan anyway. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Okay. Good luck with that. Good luck with that, Simon. What's what's going on in your life at the moment? Uh, I've just finished filming Guilt, second series of Guilt, oh, yeah. uh, which has been great actually. So I can't 
can't really say anything about it, but yeah, another 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 rather wonderful character. So no, really good, really good series. Um, just wrapped on that last week, and I just back to auditioning again. Mm. So the industry is opening up again. Yeah. Uh, I think it was tested something four times in one week, you know, for for the COVID testing. So it's it's a different job than it used to be. Yeah, you kind of feel more. You go on set, you do your thing, you go back, everyone wears masks. You put the mask down while you do your take, mask back on, and then and then out the door. So it's the the social aspect of the old filming job is, <laughs> is out the window, but at least the industry's kind of opening up again. So, so it's been tough. It's, it's been okay. How, how quickly do you adapt to the the changes as an actor? Do you know the good thing is it really concentrates the work. That's the interesting thing. You know, you know, there's no fanning about anymore. You just mm. or. or even having a laugh, you concentrate on what you got to do because time is so precious. Yeah, you do aches needed before as well. So you got to be. I find you got to be far more exact right at the beginning, and you get two or three shots at it, and that's it. And then you move on to the next bit, just because it's such a ball ache to put actors together mm. and have you know 40, 50 crew there, twenty at least in a room. It's very, very difficult to do. So so if you see some of the soaps and things that are filming just now, they've actually got screens between them. Right. You know, there's there's all sorts of the green screen taken out later on. Um so it's it's really, really strict. But as I said, I really enjoyed it because it was just the whole focus is on the words, the scene, the rhythm of it. So it's been it's been it's been a it's been a really interesting. I can't wait to piss around again and have a laugh. <laughs> um, I'm not the most serious in the world, but no, it's uh, it's it's been difficult. But at least it's it's at least it's open. Yeah, you know, other industries have been completely shut. The problem is the live work's all gone. So panto theatre stuff. I, I do I do a play every single year, and I was I had a big tour planned this year as well. Gone, all gone. Mm. You know, you have to sort of just rest the company just now as well. So that that's that's the the hardest part. And that'll be the last thing to go back. Yeah, Tom. Yeah, it's tough, isn't it? There it is. It's just nice to see you on a screen with your clothes on, Simon. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I'm a bit up to date, but the night is young, Alan. How <laughs> <laughs> about yourself, Tom? Uh, you can find me stuck behind a computer uh, most <laughs> days. Yeah, I um, Yeah, I, I'm not got much on other than padding away at a keyboard just now. Might have something coming up soon, but nothing at the moment sitting at a computer and trying to fight the cat off from yeah. climbing all over it yeah no good luck to you to everyone so just like to say a special thanks to pete wiley of the mighty wah for the use of story of the blues and the music of our show and you can catch up with pete on petewiley.co.uk and you can check out the details of i keep saying this upcoming gigs and new music but that may well soon be the case so fingers crossed with that We'd also like to sh give a sh shout out to a producer, Diane Jarden, for her great work and support throughout Hello, all this. Hello, Alan. Exactly, yeah. And did, right, yeah. <laughs> so please check out transmissionroom.co.uk where you can book music recording and rehearsal facilities in Clyde Bank. So again, hopefully that will all be open soon. So on that, I'd just like to thank our special guest, Alan Fraser, again for spending the time here and shooting the breeze with us. Thank you, yeah, Alan. Thanks for coming on, Alan. Thank you. I've really enjoyed it. It's been great. Brilliant. And thank you to Simon. Lovely to see you, as always. Yes. Thanks, guys. And thank you to Tom, as always, for being Tom. And thanks, Andy, for your uh, your excellent hosting skills. Thank you very much. It was very nice of you to say. Um, <laughs> it's not scripted at all either, that, which is even more. You know, I'm emotional. No, really. 
Thanks to everyone for listening. Um, please give us some feedback. Follow the the podcast. Share with your friends. Get to the webpage and check out the magazine as well. Um, go on to our charity partner. Donate money. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll send out a bullet list of all the things that I want you to do. But basically, just keep following us. Enjoy it. Give us some feedback. Until the next time, let's shoot the breeze.